Hollywood man They call me Hollywood man Too proud to stand aside One falling star That longs for one final chance One chance to shoot for the sky And if the world gets in my way I'll still go on Just They played that last night on the um, <laughs> the pre-show music, and everybody was kind of laughing. Was... Uh, that rolls. They uh, it was funny. Like Converge got all set up, and uh, Enter Sandman started to play over the speakers, and the lead singer Converge, Jacob Bannon, was like, "I think we're gonna wait to go on until after Sandman is over." <laughs> like, it was like, once it starts, you can't stop Sandman. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, no, you can't stop the Sandman. My buddy leads over to me. He goes. Pretty good song. It's like, yeah, this is a pretty good song. <laughs> I, like, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, tone to tip. That's that's some good yeah. Metallica. Yeah, it's a you know a finely crafted tune. <laughs> no, no doubt, da- no doubt. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, uh, I'm trying to think of like, mm, yeah, I think like every, pretty much any Metallica song from like uh, pre 1995, I would probably stop. Yeah, yeah, they're they're yeah. Uh... They're a great band. One of my one of my actual favorites of all time. So, hello and welcome to the 50th annual 50 award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Live from New York, it's Patrick Rebion. Oh my gosh. And musical <laughs> guest, Paul Simon. <laughs> You can call him Al. You can call him Al, but don't. He's tiny, but he'll hurt you. <laughs> He's a bad man. He's a bad, bad man. <laughs> Welcome to the Academy. It's 8 a.m., folks. It's 8 a.m. We got donuts. I got mm. some extra strength Tylenol. I went to 7-Eleven for a gigantic coffee. The baby's still in the car carrier next to me. We're ready to go. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. t- this week, of course, it's a um, trademark. We haven't done one of these for a while. We've been pretty on track. But mm. uh, nope, Academy Academy Swerve is in the mix. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure, I moved this week and had zero time to read the Albert Brooks novel. Uh, so we pushed the finale of Brooks Brooks to next week. I'm going on a plane trip next week. So that's going to give me plenty of reading time. <laughs> I, I, uh, I just haven't read it cause I'm lazy. <laughs> the perfect crime. No, we're a movie podcast. We're not reading. We're not the smart reader guys. I ain't, read, I ain't reading no book. <laughs> so next week, 
we will close out the Brooks Brooks series. This week, we've decided to do our 2021 Discoveries episode. Now, a lot of shows do this uh, type of episode, but it's, you know why they do it? It's fun. Yeah. Everybody, everybody enjoys this kind of show. I, I want to hear what Patrick's into. I, I hope Patrick wants to hear what I've liked. Oh, yeah. um, I feel like, I wonder if we'll have them. Um... Crossover? Crossover. I feel like there's a chance for a little bit just because we both have gotten to so many of the same uh, new Bev shows. Seen a few things, um, you know, and you know, ahead of time, I don't have anything on the list that we've covered. Oh, interesting. Show. Oh, I didn't. You know what? I made that choice too. I was like, I don't, I don't want my list just to be like every Al Pacino and Albert Brooks movie we've seen. (laughs) I mean, obviously, we've seen some cool, we've seen some cool movies for the show that have been very exciting, but. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, I, I picked 10 uh, ones we have not really talked about. I don't think we've talked about on mm. my list. Um, Patrick, I watched thus far. Year, oh. is not o- year is not over. Year can still be considered young. <laughs> Maybe mm. a little long in the tooth, perhaps. Uh, I've watched 297 first watches. Fuck! God damn! Which is, uh, I'm going to, you know, usually... I usually like to make it over 100 mm-hmm. but uh did pretty good last year i hit 366 of course that was the um peak of the pandemic year so, yeah that was <laughs> so yeah. there were opportunities to watch 366 <laughs> new movies that, that was everyone's aviator year that was the yeah. year every yeah, everyone had bar jars of urine around them yep i watched <laughs> i mean i i watched ice ice station zebra only for all 366 of those screenings as well. <laughs> but that's it. That was the movie Howard Hughes kept watching over and over again. Yeah, you were yeah, you were you had them uh, a bunch of Mormons surrounded you as you ate like a, what was it banana nut ice cream? Yep. yep. It was uh it was ugly. It's a it's a miracle we I have a wife and a baby. <laughs> uh, hey, not, not going to lie though, your fingernails look great. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Get I mean, the Wolverines. Hey, you know, you got to keep up appearances. Uh, <laughs> I also have um, no movies from the year 2021 that were released in the year 2021 oh, on my same. list. Same, uh, same. We will be at some point in January probably talking about our top movies of the of the of this year's list because uh, we haven't seen them all. <laughs> we've been we've been busy boys. Yeah, boys. But you know, why don't we just dive into this? We got a lot to get through, and uh, you know, I think things will emerge from here. But I mean, overall, this was actually hard to whittle down to ten. I saw a lot of cool movies this mm. year. Yeah, there were like a lot of a uh, lot of great movies. I've uh, I'm just looking at the. I started a. This list was surprisingly easy for me to make, just because I've started a letterbox maybe like in May, and just every time I watch a movie now. I put that on the list. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just doing the top 10 on my letterbox. Um, oh, right on. Al- yeah, although there are like a couple movies I want to shout out that are kind of like, uh, you know, they weren't my favorite movies, but they were like interesting and I'm mm-hmm. glad I saw them. Okay, uh, why don't you uh, tell us about a couple of those? Oh, yeah, sure. Tell us about these uh, honorable mentions. Oh, yeah. Well, I got to just make a shout out to uh, uh, Alligator. It lives 50 feet beneath the streets. It's 36 feet long. It weighs over 2,000 pounds. 
and it's about to break out. That was a really fun, silly, just kind of like it's, you know, Robert Forrester, uh, our uh, everyone's favorite mobster, Michael Vigazzo. He's so good as the chief of police in this. What a great, I love him. It's a Louis Teague film. I I just, I think Michael Vigazzo, I wish there were like more movies where he just had a supporting role because he's such an idiosyncratic human being his voice is so specific and he has such a uh, a weird energy like i wish he just was like a grandpa in movies or owned diners or was the evil mayor like i don't know just cast him in, uh, i want to go back in time and cast him in more stuff but uh yeah fun film great like great watch robert forster is like surprisingly kind of like he's like this fun pudgy uh like i like how the movie kind of plays on him starting to lose his hair and starting to get like he's like lost he's, he's lost a bit of his shine and they they totally own it yeah and i love the uh, the the way the new beverly has made it a natural pairing with jackie brown as yeah. kind of a <laughs> this idea that perhaps max cherry before he became a bail bondsman was a was balding Los Angeles police officer doing oh. battle with a giant alligator and that drove him just to retiring from the force. It's just too much. A giant this giant alligator was too much. Yeah, and it's just like, man, I've seen some shit. I saw this giant alligator once. <laughs> and then uh the other thing I wanna shout out is uh so this isn't like a movie. It's not a movie, but I would almost like you know, I'll say it's on Letterbox number one, and so I, and it's only like one season, so I would almost consider it like like Twin Peaks esque in the sense mm-hmm. that like it's like this almost like this it's like this one contained thing that I feel like you could edit it in a weird way and turn it into like this like you know six hour experience. Uh, but uh, Kentaro Mura uh, passed away this year, unfortunately. He was the author of the manga berserk and so uh there was a 1997 anime uh it's like 26 episodes long i believe uh very short but every episode is like very like filled to the brim with like violence and action and intrigue it's it's so good it's like the most disgusting violent uh sad it's like it ends on such a bummer it's so profoundly fucked it's one of my oh, favorite yeah awesome. it's, oh it, it rules it's very like um it's like if game of thrones was like uh just taken to like seven levels higher and just like the death count was like five times as big and it's it's just it's ridiculous it rules the main character is named guts i love it guts like, oh love god it. Guts rules. It's That's great. What I, sh- I should have named my kid Guts. Uh, you should have named your kid Guts. Uh, do you have Guts any... Guts Saunderson? What oh, a name. Guts Saunderson would have been great. But that is definitely the name of, like, a Conan character. She is stealing everyone at school's lunch money. Oh. Her name is Guts Saunderson. She is, yeah. She is, like... <laughs> or, you're like a, or you're, like, a Norwegian fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Yeah, you're either... <laughs> You're either the uh, the local tough, or you're the uh, person in the the fishing, the yellow fishing suit on the box of sardines. Those are like the two options. Or you were once played by Stellan Skarsgård in some movie. <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård is a little baby. He's a he's a family man, but he's got a secret. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I go to elementary school. <laughs> that, that, that's your SARS card. That's not bad. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I just yeah, I think him and Anton Sugar probably have a similar voice. I don't know. Yeah, well, still SARS card is like every movie he's in. It's like on the surface, it's like oh, interesting guy, and then it's like oh, you murder people in your basement. <laughs> yeah. There's only like one movie where he's not like just straight up evil, and it's I think it's like Thor: uh, yeah. Lost War, where he's like you, you're introduced to him uh, running around in the nude, which is uh, that's like the high point of that movie. Just well, seeing... I mean that that's uh, that's a lot of his movies too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like just comical nudity. Oh yeah. my god, yeah, hey, Mamma Mia. Yep, you're right. Oh, and he's Man. a great guy in that. God uh, love him. He rules. Mamma Mia legend. All uh, right, let's uh, let's get into this. I'll start off. I can go first with uh, my number 10 slot. And these are pretty arbitrary rankings. Yeah. I just want to say that. Like, I just uh, kind of tried to pick an order that seemed interesting and didn't have same Z movies oh. all in a row. I wanted to like, and I also tried to pick kind of favorites from different genres and different moments oh nice throughout the year too uh but my number 10 is a movie that pretty talked about last month due to the new beverly doing a james bridges uh retrospective casting an eye on a director that a lot of us kind of maybe didn't know his name Mm -hmm. and uh now we do Mm -hmm. we're all fans now uh but you know, obviously we talked, we raved about China Syndrome a few episodes ago, but I'm going to go in a different direction. 1984's Mike's Murder, uh, neo-noir film starring Deborah Winger from Terms of Endearment, an uh, actor who I'm a big fan of at this point. Um, and basically, Deborah plays this uh, just regular gal in Los Angeles who has a... Uh, steamy affair with a tennis instructor named Mike who then just has a random contact with him over the next two years but then she finds out he gets she gets a call and he's been brutally murdered oh and she starts to uncover that he's also a drug dealer and it's her this kind of like entering into the seamy world of kind of strange characters violence drugs weird sex and it's just kind of like sends this like regular person down this odd rabbit hole and it's done in this very um dreamy kind of way so you don't even know when time is jumping and stuff like that and um apparently it got taken away in the edit but he wanted to do the movie backwards like memento oh shit but it would have been you know 16 years before memento um, but it's really, it's a, it's an interesting curio. It's not like, not like a neo-noir masterpiece, like, you know, Chinatown or Cutter's Way or something like that, but it really stuck with me. It's very, very, like, um, uh, mysterious, enigmatic movie that I know a lot of other people, this was kind of the one that no one had heard of that they saw from this retrospective that was like, oh, this is a pretty unique movie. So I, I really recommend it. It's, um, I bought it on a Warner Archive burnt to DVD disc, it, obviously, but this, is, this one's ripe for reappraisal. 
and kind of a rediscovery. And that's kind of what this is all about. So my number 10, Mike's Murder. I, I like that one a lot. Awesome. I'm super intrigued by this film just because it stars Deborah Winger, number one, who like crushed it in terms of endearment. So I'd love to see like her in a very different mode. This seems like kind of... Uh, Seems like she'd probably be playing a character, perhaps, uh, maybe not at the opposite of her character in terms of endearment, but at least, like, it seems like she's going to be at a different energy level. Well, she's not as brassy. She's kind of... She's kind of an observer who's letting things come to her, and then when the thriller elements kind of come into play, she then has to, like, oh, geez, what what am I going to... You know, what, what do I do? Oh, no, how do I... Now that, now, that, now that there's some... There's some spooky people <laughs> who've oh, entered my life and you know and, and oh and it's um, awesome early 80s like shot in like Brentwood Los oh, Angeles footage so oh, yeah. if you want to like if you're in and all sorts of cool Los Angeles stuff too if you're if you're into that kind of stuff like I am like kind of um, time capsule footage of places like LA or New York um, this is a great LA movie on top of that Hell yeah. Ten out of ten. I cannot wait. Yeah, I'm going to watch this at some point. Yeah. Ah, oh, man. Because, uh, and I will say, too, that it had a, had a China Syndrome. Had I not watched that movie back in 2020, that would 100% be on my list right now. That was, yeah. man, what a good. Oh, well, it, was a, it was a hot screening. Just a yeah. hot screening. I mean, that's what you're after when you go to the movies. It's just kind of everybody um, really feeling you know, like the crowd was punchy and really into it it was good stuff yeah that's like honestly like i feel like that was gonna play into my list a lot is the the crowd interactivity uh which will actually factor into my number 10 uh, oh excellent oh definitely yeah Choi harks once upon a time in china oh, excellent oh my god first time watching it so fun watching this with a packed audience uh it's just a you know a um I guess like a Chinese, like a, it's like a uh, martial arts wuxia film where, uh, you know, Jet Li is kind of like, you know, in a uh, Chinese port city during that era when there were spheres of influence from like France and England and America and China. And, you know, there are rival uh, martial artists. There's uh, foreign entanglements. Uh, there's a funny fat martial artist. It has it all. It's really good. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, it's very high energy. It's uh, it's a long film. It's like over two hours, but it doesn't ever it never overstays its welcome. Like uh, you know, like I feel like the bad guy, like the main villain, like the um, the. Uh, maybe not the arc villain, but like well, the that was of... the best part was there was like five villains oh. Jet Lee to take care of. So it's like, yeah, let's he's got he's got plenty of fights. <laughs> oh, totally. And like, yeah, and the and the main fighting guy doesn't come in until like an hour into the movie. It's crazy. Like the rival martial artist. Ah, oh, so good. There's also one of my favorite um, uh, fake white guy names, General Wickens. What a what a great name. That yeah. is. Yeah. The crowd wanted him to get it so bad. It was just wonderful. Oh, it ruled. Yeah. Also, uh, shout out to Tiger. That was another one the crowd wanted to get. Like, kind of like the white, bad martial artist guy. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that guy ruled. What an insane character. Who, like, <laughs> it would have been so much fun to have been, like, an Australian dude in the 80s. I got to, like, perform in one of these ridiculous films. I know. Who, got who like, moved, moved to China and got really, really into martial arts. And you're like... 
got cast in martial arts movies because of it. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, sticking you're, out like a sore thumb. <laughs> you're 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 playing uh, evil Corporal Hampson. Uh, yeah. Oh man, no, but it, it yeah, great movie. Choi Hark is like a gem. National yeah. trip. Yeah, he rules. Uh, Brilliant. Yep. Yeah, uh, watch it. Yeah, definitely. Like, and this is like get a group together. Do like Christmas with Jet Li this year. Do like yeah. a watch the whole damn trilogy. A lot of fun. Yeah. Um. Those New Beverly Martial Arts Nights are pretty notorious for being quite a good party. <laughs> of, yeah. You know, and and this one is just nonstop. It's super funny, too. That's the only thing I wanted to add. Oh, it's that so it's really funny. funny. Yeah, it's like, it's funny. There's like at least like three uh, comedy relief side characters, uh, and they all get their like awesome like moment where they like uh, put one on the other guy. There's like a guy who, uh, his uh, Chinese is terrible, but his English is excellent. He gets like a good moment. Like there's a lot of like, it's a great, yeah, great time. Watch this oh, movie. Yeah, all the side characters, just a blast. Mm-hmm. In addition to Jelly, just being <sighs> remarkable and kicking ass all over to- the place. Total king. Great. Well, my number nine, uh, Criterion Channel did a series this year. Um, they put up all of the renowned cycle westerns from bud bedeker and randolph scott from Mm. the late 50s i have had the bud bedeker box set on my dvd shelf for a decade wow i'd only watched one of them before so uh these and so this time around when they showed up on the criterion channel i just went for it and i watched every single one of the cycle um so basically, they are late period. Randolph Scott, who's you know golden age star, did these late period run with all directed by Bud Bedeker. Most of them written by Burt Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Most all of them kind of landing between seventy and eighty minutes mm-hmm. in length. Uh, westerns where it's kind of he plays a similar kind of guy throughout all of them. But they are so tightly told, so entertaining, and they are the bridge from kind of like the classical John Wayne style Western mm. to Sam Peckinpah about oh, five years later. They that's kinda, interesting. Because they, they, they do show shades of gray and kind of obsession and darkness in mm. these characters. And uh, my favorite of the one I had already seen the tall T, which I really, I really recommend that one. But the one that was new to me was Ride Lonesome. And in this one, uh, he plays Randolph Scott plays a bounty hunter named Ben Brigade, who captures um, a guy. And in essence, we it isn't revealed until things progress that he's using the guy as kind of a pawn to get the guy's brother, who's actually the really wanted killer. But Randolph Scott doesn't like play his cards until very late in the movie on this. And then they run into all sorts of interesting people along the way, including Pernell Roberts, James Coburn. It's like his first ever uh, movie. Um, And then the big bad is Lee Van Cleef. Um, who, you know, if you're okay. a Western fan, yeah. you know, Lee Van Cleef. Those are like um, two, James Coburn rules, Lee Van Cleef rules. I love, yeah, like James Coburn in Affliction. Mwah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and we we learn that it's very personal between um, 
Randolph Scott and Lee Van Cleef. But I, the exciting thing about these movies is just like the pure storytelling mm-hmm. of them. They are like yarns of the highest order. You just kind of sit down and you're like, oh, I get what they're doing. I'm excited to see how this turns out. Because like, I don't, you know, I, I have a feeling Randolph Scott's probably going to save the day. Ooh. But how? What are the twists and turns it's going to take on the way? So I just, I thought this one was really good. And this one has some pretty, like, amazing photography. It has a, a pretty, a super memorable final shot of this burning tree that um, I, I think is really cool. And uh, these these movies, um, you know, I know that, like, Clint Eastwood's a huge fan. Martin Scorsese's a huge fan. Um of this cycle and Randolph Scott's kind of interesting too because he's he's pretty stiff as an actor <laughs> you know I, I think he comes from that pre obviously because of that pre Montgomery Clift or James Dean or Marlon Brando he's like a, period. he's of the Spencer Tracy mold where it's like this is just a job <laughs> or like Gary Cooper or that kind of thing mm, and gotcha. um but he like at first I was like I don't think I like him I think he's too stiff, but by the end of the cycle, I was like, I love this guy. Like, I get him. I get like he's he's weird and kind of he's weird and kind of cold but warm. It's just all over the place. And I think I recommend the entire cycle. Like, Decision at Sundown, Comanche Station, Tall T. You know, just um, what's the other one that I liked a lot? Um, oh my gosh. <sighs> well. It's the first one in the cycle. I'm having trouble remembering <laughs> it. Um, maybe I already remember. Oh, Seven Men From Now. That's what it's called. Um, and that one has Lee Marvin as the heavy. Which Fuck is cool. yeah. There we go. Um, what's not to like with Lee Marvin? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think these are really cool. Obviously, they are a little... If you're not a big fan of older movies, mm-hmm. uh, they might be a little stodgy for you. Um but then again, uh, Ride Lonesome is 73 minutes long. So you're not in it for that long to enjoy a very good story. For that, you know? <laughs> So I, I, recommend, um, I recommend the entire cycle, but I, Ride Lonesome stuck out the most. I had a great time watching all of them. Nice. I will have to check out uh, Ride Lonesome. I, and I love like, uh, you know, audience uh don't just disregard a movie because it's like black and white or older than 30. Like, uh, give it, give, have faith, have faith in your ability to watch something that isn't, uh, you know, fucking animated by Pixar. Like, hey, like, hey, like, yeah. A good story is a good story. Yeah. And if you can get in, like, involved in just kind of like what, you know, I, I, I've developed a real appreciation this year for just kind of like stories that have me saying, like, geez, what's going to happen next? Like, I got back into, like, reading Stephen King novels Ooh. this year, and it was just, like, the pure enjoyment of, like, geez, I don't know what's going to happen. This is cool. Like, I'm, I want to keep reading because this is so much fun to know, like, what is going to happen? and How is this going to turn out? And there is there is a there's a real joy to that. Oh, 100%. Oh, God. And, I, uh, that, that's the stand. I would read the stand, like, every year for, like, a long time probably for like 10 years i read the stand for like from like age 15 to 25 i would read it every year and that book is so much fun because it is truly just like in 
the amount that happens in that book and the weird places that book goes to. Uh, and not all of them successful, but like, uh, I don't know, just insane. Just uh, yeah. He's a, yeah, a wildly creative man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow, I like Stephen King. What a crazy um, uh, opinion. What the um, hell? Um, cancel this show. Controversy. Oh, <laughs> controversy. controversy. You're a reg- he's a regular Joe Rogan right here. <laughs> hey, man. Let's uh let's do some CM no not country music channel. Let's do some DMT. Let's do some- <laughs> yeah, we, we we know we know Joe Rogan. Oh, uh side recommendation if you have if listeners out there who have not watched Tim Heidecker's um Joe Rogan fake episode that he just released, uh, go check it out. It is um one of the funniest things that I've seen this year. It's Heidecker and a couple other comedians and Heidecker's playing Rogan and um they go for like an hour and Heidecker says nothing except he say he's talking the entire way through, but he says absolutely nothing of substance. And it just gets funnier and funnier. The, like the longer the joke goes on. Oh, dude. Oh, also, by the way, the, the other two comedians in that are Jeremy Levick and Rajat Suresh. Oh, oh thank there's, you. they're so fucking those yeah. guys, those guys rule. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, all, all Kings. Uh, I've watched clips of that and everyone I've watched has been incredible. Uh, yeah. It's yeah, Tim. super funny. Yeah, he's like, oh. yeah, one of the last funny boys. Uh, yeah, <laughs> one of the last funny boys. <laughs> last of the funny boys. Uh, right, what, do you, what do you got at nine? Oh, number nine. Oh, man. So my list is going to be like way, unfortunately, like way less uh, like specific and cool than your uh, than yours, <laughs> because like uh, I'm just not as I, I haven't watched as much stuff as you have. And then uh, I am just like doing like my 10 favorite movies that I movies that were new to me that I've seen. But, uh, and so, like, if my list comes off as a little, like, uh, plain or, like, not as, like, uh, esoteric, I apologize. But, you know, there's still some weird ones in there. Uh, but uh, that so being said. number nine is Thursday's game. Uh, yeah, number nine, Thursday's game. Uh, actually, number nine, The Godfather. No. <laughs> uh, number nine is uh, Phantom of the Paradise. 20th Century Fox presents Phantom of the Paradise, a gothic horror story. <laughs> What was that? First time ever watching it. Saw it with Don. I went to the new Bev. Uh, it's like better. It's a better Rocky Horror Picture Show. Like it's kind of crazy that Rocky Horror is like the one that we do uh, the the crazy musical stuff. And Phantom of the Paradise is kind of like um, you know it has its uh, champions definitely. And there are people that are in the know that know this movie, but like, I feel like this is a movie that the average Joe should know. It's incredible. It's like such a fun, weird, bizarro oddity. Uh, Who's influenced, by the way, like uh, I brought up the, the manga Berserk or whatever. There's like a character in Berserk that I realized after. And so, by the way, Berserk is like one of the most popular mangas of all time, like hugely beloved everywhere. It's maybe one of the biggest things in Japan. Um, there's like a character in Berserk that one of the main characters, Griffith, his his helmet is the Phantom of the Paradise helmet. It's fucking crazy. So like just like the fact that like its influence is felt that far, like that offbeaten of a path compared to like, you know, it went from like the 1975 film to being featured in a 90s manga. Like so like it has its champions everywhere. Um like the velvet underground of movies but uh paul williams is also great the music's incredible the set design is great the cinematography is like fascinating uh just it's really propulsive yeah. yeah 
Oh man, and like, oh god, and I love Paul Williams in it. He's like this weird little evil man, uh, and it's so funny because it's such the like I did not have that. Um, uh, it's kind of like seeing a movie where Randy Newman plays an evil villain or something. <laughs> like in my head, like I've always associated Paul Williams with like the Muppet movie and uh, that one episode of Dexter's Laboratory. And so to see him just be this straight up. This is like the devil. He's like Mephisto or whatever. Like yeah. it rolls. It's Swan. Swan. Yeah. Mr. Swan. Uh, what a great. Yeah. But like definitely uh, check this one out. Um, I'm definitely going to watch it again. This is like another one that you could like watch like with a, a group of people and have a wonderful time. I think you'd blow like a lot of younger people who maybe maybe have not dug as deep into films. I think that this would be a very surprising film. Yeah. Um, oh. It's like, oh, wow, this is wildly creative and interesting and unique oh a hundred percent it like it still feels fresh and new today like i watched this and was like wow i didn't realize like movies this far back could be this like kinetic and crazy that's the thing you can't like uh fall for that trap of like you know movies pre-1985 have to be like you know, stodgy and like, you know, every every one of them is like, you know, uh, Gregory Peck being somber or something. Yeah. Like, that's not the, that's not the, like, ah, oh, man. Then when you can't forget beef, beef rules. Beef. One yes. of the great. Also, like, Rod Serling is like, it has a cameo and it does a vocal cameo. There's like so many fun little bits. It, yeah. Just one of my favorite. Yeah. It's so good. Very hip movie. Very mm-hmm. hip movie. Uh, big year for Brian De Palma in our mm. in our circles, but it, what what year isn't a big year for Brian De Palma? Oh yeah. Uh, my number eight is the newest movie on my list. Uh, oh, year twenty twelve. Oh, a movie I had missed entirely, and I was working on catching up on a few horror movies that I missed from this time period, this year, and this one f- knocked me on my ass. And this was, uh, and for, you know, a lot of people have seen this movie, it's, but uh, this movie is called Sinister, directed by Scott Derrickson, uh, starring Ethan Hawke. Um, relentlessly grim, uh, truly leads to a um, upsetting conclusion. And I loved it. I love it when mainstream movies <laughs> go to that place. <laughs> Hell yes! <laughs> it's like, it's so exciting. It's like way better than like tucking me into it. Like that is my tuck getting tucked into bed with like my pillow fluffed and like yeah. covers put up to my <laughs> neck. It's like just grim fate. And uh-huh. how much I love the storytelling trope of and obviously the Cohen brothers are kind of the kings of this, but a choice is made at the very start of the movie or perhaps even on screen before the movie begins. Setting up dominoes of inevitability toward only one conclusion, but the entire movie are spent ma- saying maybe they can get out of this. <laughs> no. I mean, obviously, like, you know, no country of old men, he takes the money. And that's that. There's yeah. no, and they, they, like the Chigurh character is designed to tell him that there was never an op, there was never going to be a conclusion other than the one that was coming. Yeah. And I love it. I think it's so great. I mean, it's it's, it's 
obviously it's not hopeful no but but grim is good i'm with you it's and this one was just unsettling and spooky and uh you know hats off to derrickson and his co-writer uh c robert cargill um it is a banger of a movie if you ask me i was enthralled by it all the way through and i just uh i felt like such a a dweeb like going up to like horror movie people afterwards i'm like have you seen sinister and they're like yeah i saw it in 2012 <laughs> i was like well it's really good <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> and um i had a chance to see the latest collaboration between derrickson and cargill and hawk that doesn't come out until february oh ago, called the black phone and while it does not reach all of sinister sites it's really good too so i want to rec- uh, uh future recommendation there but uh yeah i i, I loved loved sinister uh that's like i feel like ethan hawk has had such a fascinating uh like his recent the last like third of his career has been so uh unique and uh another um it's just like he's done like a lot of like idiosyncratic roles and like very like um it's just like he hasn't done like a lot of like the easy maybe not easy maybe that's the wrong term but he's just he's done like a lot of unique stuff and it's all been very different and he's done a lot of stuff like uh that's like kind of off the beaten path and uh, he'd be a fascinating guy to do like yeah i'm I'm a a big fan yeah like even like a 32 seed bracket i think we could actually do like a full like 32 seed and like include some of his like weirder smaller like i think he did like a film in like like sweden recently where like he's like he's he's doing a bank heist in sweden and he's like the one american in it like i want to i want to see that he shows up and he's so natural and he's just like a fun like you believe him yeah everything he does and i I, I mean he's in the new abel ferrara that i haven't seen yet zeros and ones wow um but i heard that he um I, I believe this, I think this is true, but basically with these Blumhouse ones he did, because he did Sinister and he did The Purge, the mm. original Purge, that he has like, he takes back end profits. Oh, fuck yeah. On them. <laughs> and so he can afford, because he's made a ton of fucking money off of these back end profits on these hugely successful low budget horror movies, that um, he can afford to like do weird theater stuff and like, you know be in a bunch of movies you know and strange movies and take swings and show up in foreign films and just all sorts of cool choices i always think too about um i read the dazed and confused oral history mm-hmm. this year and it's so interesting in it like all of the male actors are like we love rick we want to we wanted to be robert de niro to Richard Linklater, to Richard Linklater, Scorsese, we all thought we were going to do it, and oh, then man. his very next movie was Before Sunrise. He cast Ethan, and it was Ethan. It was none of it was none of the guys in Taste of Confusion. Yeah, <laughs> but then Ethan Hawke always talks about how disappointed he is that he didn't get Dazed and Confused. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, uh, so. So, sorry, Rory Cochran. Yeah, but all yeah, and even <laughs> Affleck was like, "I'm going to be, I'm going to be with him. We're buddies." Oh uh, uh, no. <laughs> Yeah. and it was there, there there but it was ethan he met ethan and that was it yeah <laughs> like, that, that was, was his like, guy he has like two muses it's like him and jack black those are like the two muses of he's, richard he's linklater with mcconaughey a, f- a few oh, more times that's true but, newton 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 boys yeah but yeah. ethan hawk really does seem to be the avatar 
Oh, yeah. Uh, the male avatar for um, for Linklater. I hope they do another uh, Beyond movie. I heard that they were going to, and Julie Delphi said no. Wow. Like, she's fed up with the industry, like, and probably has been more than likely because she's a lady in the industry who's probably been treated terribly by people. And um, Oh, yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, yeah, what the, who, you know, but yeah. it's a bummer. I mean. It, oh, it does suck. Although, like, it is, the only thing I would say, too, is that, like, uh, like, what would you call it after? Because midnight's pretty, like, so I guess it'd be, like, before dusk? Before go, dawn? Before or I guess dawn? It's sunrise. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Before dawn. Yeah, it's true. But I know that um, my guess has always been that they're going to be divorced at the beginning of if they ever did a fourth one and it would be them kind of like having a day together after having been divorced for like five or six years. Oh man. And then, they, and then but then kind of maybe like it ends like, Oh, are they still, are they still in love with each can, other? And then can, it ends on like a cliffhanger and that's it. Can <laughs> that's, rekindle that's, the spark? that's my pitch for the sequel for the fourth. Call me Rick. I got an idea. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, you know, Hey, heat babies uh, before before four, we got it all. We have all the ideas here. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do you got for eight? Oh, number eight. Oh man, it's a it's another uh, movie like Phantom of the Paradise, where uh, once again saw with you the new Bev, uh, and it's kind of its influence is long and wide, but not that many people know about this film. Uh, I am talking about Girlfriends, uh, directed by Claudia Weil. What are you doing? Go back to sleep. What are you doing? It's still dark in here. Okay. Wait, Rabbi, why don't you try shaking hands? Now, oh, I have a few things cooking. Actually, I have nothing cooking at all. And starring uh, Melanie Mayrone. It's watching this film uh, was super. Inter- it's it's very fascinating. It's an entertaining film, and you can kind of see like, oh wow, this is like. Like where Greta Gerwig and Lena Dunham, where a lot of like modern directors have sort of like um, you can see like the the uh, the nucleus of a lot of films about a you know just like a, an intellectual woman trying to make it on her own in New York. You see kind of like the nucleus of that uh, in this feature. Uh, it's very funny. Uh, it's uh, kind of sad sometimes uh you know at the time i feel like it would have been very easy to have the protagonist be uh, anita skinner's character like the blonde like they make the blonde kind of like the 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 wacky best friend in this uh when in every other version of this film it would definitely be melanie's character susan weinblatt who's kind of like you know she's more uh ethnic she's like you know like a little she has glasses like yeah in every other movie she would have been coded as like the the funny best friend she, she has amazing hair 
oh her hair rolls yeah great yeah. hair and and i say yeah i love yeah uh she got she has the just long long hair uh but uh you know there's also like a point where like she has like a little uh, like mini affair with a rabbi uh she meets uh christopher guest as this guy who is like simultaneously like charming and unbearable like i really love christopher guest's performance in this film movie because he is like this person where it's like he's like a bit of a hunk but he's also like a bit of a a a cold asshole but yeah but he's also but it's also like is it like his personality or is it just like is or is he just like i don't know it's there's a lot going on it's like like francis hall which would not exist with if without girlfriends, no, um, no, no, no. it is a love story between the two friends more so than it is about any, like, I need a man in my life. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It's all about, yeah. It's about the girlfriends and it's yeah. about like, yeah, as it's about like one getting married and one kind of like finding herself uh, in terms of her career and kicked the shutdown button <laughs> oh, no <laughs> you were so uh, animated in your girlfriend's uh... it's a, it, you know it's a, it's a it's actually like a very easy movie to feel very passionate about and to become like one of your favorite movies yeah it rules it's a great um i think it's just like kind of like a unique fun uh, it's very like and it's specific in a way that like I don't know it's what I love about like movies back then is that um, I feel like movies aren't allowed to be as specific as they used to be in the past there's been like a uh, you know like a, especially like mainstream a lot of mainstream cinema um, and then it kind of goes the other way sometimes where almost it's so specific and esoteric that like it could like really turn a lot of people off. But like, uh, which I'm not like, I like that, but you know, not everyone does, but like this movie has so much like texture and it feels like I'm going in a time capsule back to like New York city in 1978 and getting like, like this is really what it was like to live here at this time, like as a woman doing this profession and there's like yeah there's like the sense of like realism and authenticity to it that i really appreciate it's it's so authentic so sincere Mm -hmm. as well and uh i'm not melanie maron's lead performance cannot be praised enough oh she's She's, so good in a different world she's a megastar yeah if she like honestly if this movie had come out like 10 years later or like if everything had like she would be I think she'd be a bigger, like, in, because, like, I think even, like, 10, by, like, 10, like, they were more kind of, like, open to non, like, like, waspy female leads. Yeah. Like, yeah, it took, like, a, yeah, it's, like, they were a little, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer. But uh, although I do want to see 30-something now, I definitely <laughs> want to, like, I want to go, should I go down that rabbit hole? Should I I'm watch? not sure. That 30-something does sound like a very Academy Academy television series. <laughs> it does. It does 100%, but then maybe that's part of, maybe that's like if we do a Patreon, that's our uh, our 30-something Patreon bonus episodes. I remember when it was on the air or when I was a kid, they show the ads during football because we might be watching football with my dad. And I just see like, this seems like the most 
and they got like winner of 70,000 Emmys. Yeah. Uh, I was like, as a kid, I was like, this show looks like it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, this is an Edward Zwick joint, though. I'm like, this, this, this shit seems boring. I don't want to watch a movie about my parents. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, look, I just saw that it's created by Edward Zick, Zwick, yeah. the guy who did The Siege. I'm super, I want to figure out how did Edward Zwick go from 30-something to like yeah, like Defiance and Jack Reacher never go back. Yeah, and Glory. 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 Man, that's the movie everyone saw in high school for yeah, history yeah, class. He, he did a lot of classy movies, but yeah, uh, I, I'd seen Girlfriends before, but um, seeing in the theater was even more fun. Supposedly, Quentin Tarantino was there, but we didn't see him. <laughs> ah, <laughs> but it was everybody at the theater had a blast. Yeah, it was and a I mean, great It's yeah. just, it's it's in instant one instantly one of these movies that if you're of the right mindset like i think we said before um mm-hmm. it's going to become one of your favorites yeah if you're kind of if you're into kind of that urban new york coming of age kind of story oh yeah you know? this but is like yeah S-tier. it's a charming it's a charming movie very charming everyone's fun it's like yeah this is a hey and you know we've done a lot of christmas films this is a damn hanukkah film folks yeah get out your potato pancakes and <laughs> uh dip them in applesauce or sour cream whatever you do and have at it have at it uh give, um, give us your next one donny boy uh decidedly less charming film <laughs> <laughs> i decided that uh if a movie synopsis begins with either the first these two sentences i will probably watch this movie um (laughs) an ex-cop who dot 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 or upon returning home from war so and so finds dot 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 (laughs) oh hell yeah dog of which this movie falls into the second category. <laughs> I'm talking about 1972's Welcome Home, Soldier Boys. Uh, directed by Richard Compton, starring a murderer's row of 70s folks. Uh, heading things off, Joe Don Baker, Paul Coslow, Alan Vint, Jennifer Billingsley, and Ooh. Billy Greenbush. We, we're, we're talking the... Um, some of the some of the greatest like <sighs> angels with dirty faces we'll call them <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh man just, are, uh, just excellent mooks and then uh, a guy named elliot street who does not even have a wikipedia page who is one of the uh, titular boys um so this one is about danny shooter kid and fat back four, ve- four veterans returning home from vietnam go on a road trip they've got some cash they've got a plan they're gonna cross the country and um they uh kid has got some land and they're all gonna start a farm together much like with sinister the second these guys get off the bus in their uniforms and are acting a little strange you're like this farm is never (laughs) going to happen oh no they get a Cadillac. They meet a woman. They have sex with her. And then Joe Don Baker, she says something he doesn't like. And he opens the backseat of the car and just throws her out of the car as it's going 65 miles an hour. And you're like, Jesus. Oh, man. 
and it just goes from there <laughs> and as these guys realize they have no place in society they are completely animalized like on, on edge at all times based on their war experiences oh, no. um they are like on a hair trigger at all times leading up to this conclusion where the car that they bought the cadillac needs work they've stopped in this super small town the small town doesn't like them they treat them like pariahs the next morning jodon loses it and he goes to the mechanic's house he starts pounding on the door nobody will let them in to fix anything oh no and then they just they open the trunk of the cadillac and you realize they've been carrying an arsenal with them this entire time oh god go into high alert and it becomes this assault and siege on the small town with these four guys and then the national guard like everything comes down on it and it's this insane apocalyptic ending and i was just like what a mook just absolute carnage and grim ending <laughs> and, and i was just like Oh, I have not heard of this movie before. And this is as unsettling as like Rolling Thunder or Taxi Driver or movies of that. Like, it's not as, I don't think it, it's not as good as Taxi Driver, clearly. But um, it's fascinating. The tagline Danny, Shooter, Fatback, and the Kid are carrying a deadly disease. War. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm in. I'm. It's, it's folks. It's not an easy. Based on all that description, you could tell. Not an easy watch. By any means. <laughs> Although, like, I don't know, man. I'm not gonna lie. Uh, that I'm. I'm doing Tex Avery Hardy eyes at that shit. That I. I want. I want that directly in my veins right now. I mean, it's a grim B level re- released by 20th Century Fox. I mean, boy, major movie. Released by 20th Century Fox. Written by Gurdon Trueblood. Even he sounds like one of the characters. Yeah, <laughs> it's just um re- I mean, it's a um it's a rough movie. Don't get me wrong. Right, right. There is some stuff in there that probably will throw some folks off yeah. completely. Um Heed with caution. Yeah, heed with caution, but if you are on the adventurous side, if you like these kind of rougher B-movie kind of grindy kind of films, uh, this one's really interesting. And the way it escalates and heightens is um, startling. <laughs> Just startling. And at another in a long line of um, coming home movies that don't go well. So that's my number <laughs> That's my number seven. Welcome home, soldier boys. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I love, um, God, I love how, like, all those people have names. They sound like people Joe Biden hung out with. Yeah, uh, yeah. And and they're all played by all the actors. I mean, if you're, like, if you are a fan of, like, deep cut 70s movies, these guys are kings and queens of, mm-hmm. of, that, of that universe. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not Pacino. It's not Hoffman. It's not Streep. But uh, hey, give me Paul Coslow <laughs> any day of the week. Oh, for real, uh, Alan isn't Alan Venti's a uh, he's in he's, Panic in Needle Park. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, oh, what a great I love I love Alan Venti. Get that. Get me too. That, 
get that uh, get that money, boy. Get that yep. pa- get that paper king. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> past talent bit. Um, okay, number seven. Uh, this is kind of um, a much lighter movie, but uh, I, I feel like this is a Dodd movie. I feel like we talked about this. I told you I watched this movie, and you're like, "Oh, I like this film." Uh, my number seven is a. Uh, Hard Times. Yes. 1975's Hard Times, Walter Hill, Charles Bronson, a return to the uh, list for James Coburn, and Struther Martin as Poe, a, the, a former medical student and opiate addict hired to repair Janie's cuts. Uh, I love this movie. Um, you know, there is kind of a bit of a romance in it, but that's really not the point. This movie is about like a dude who kind of like one day, you know, it's the Great Depression. Uh, we're in New Orleans. We're in Nolens. Charles Bronson kind of just walks out of the shadows and starts bare knuckle <laughs> boxing people. Uh, could, be the, could be the story to almost every Charles Bronson movie. Oh, 100%. <laughs> this is like, uh, this is 100% like every, uh, every Charles Bronson feature. Every, this is like, uh, it's, and it's, maybe it's a little bare bones too in that regard, but, um, uh, you know, it's kind of like this film is about the relationship between this, like, you know, um, semi-serious, uh, this stern and taciturn boxer portrayed by Charles Bronson, uh, the uh, Spencer Speedweed. What a great name. It's the, the James Coburn's uh, sort of plays his, like, manager who like, helps, like, organize and set up these fights for Bronson. Uh, and he's a kind of, he's slimy, he owes people money, he sees uh, Charles Bronson's talent and immediately is like, oh man, we, you can help me, I can help you. He's sort of in it for himself, but he sort of builds a relationship with Bronson over the course of the film. Uh, and then Struther Martin is like the uh, opium addicted, uh, kind of like posh, but scummy uh doctor who uh, tends to Bronson's wounds. They make this great like uh, tr- um, threesome. They're just this wonderful group of these three These three weird guys hanging out together are always like very entertaining. You always get like a weird like southern like, you know, um, you always get like, oh, the, the, the tulips are withering this year. Like Strother Martin's just doing shit like that like every five minutes. Like it, it, it's incredible. James Coburn is so like, um, he has very like uncut gems energy in this. Like obviously not as intense, but like there's like a sense of desperation to his performance that I really appreciate. Uh, and then there's also Bruce Glover's in this movie is like a tough. I fucking love Bruce Glover. He's in CC oh, yeah. Company. He has like a great like silly face. Um, there's a lot of great fights. Um, I kind of love that the main heavy, like the ultimate baddie, is played by uh, Nick Dimitri, who I think was actually Charles Bronson's like. Uh, stunt performer for a long time like he would do Charles and so it's kind of cool that he gets to have like this uh, uh, entertaining uh, you know uh, he gets to have like a big actual lead role where he's not just like you know taking Charles Bronson's punches Uh, I appreciate that Um, it's a good yeah really fun time this is like another movie you could like watch with a group of people I think and uh, just everyone will be entertained Uh, Walter Hill is always great like yeah yeah, just yeah, ten out of ten, fun movie. Give it a go. It's rocket, rocking movie. I love that one too. Uh, my number six, another great director, 
Uh, first watch for me, though, uh, is from 1977. We're talking about Martin Scorsese's New York, New York. Whoa! Um, saw it at the New Beverly. I'd never seen it before. Pretty maligned film. This was a big bomb for Marty. Uh, this movie rules. It's great. It's uh, thrilling. The musical numbers, all of the camera stuff. I mean, it's, just, it's, a, it's a stunning movie, of course. Stars uh, Liza Minnelli and Robert De Niro. Uh, Robert De Niro playing perhaps the worst guy I saw in one of the worst guys I saw in film this year who isn't like um, actively killing people <laughs> he's killing he's gutting their souls I, like it was at the end of the movie when she runs into him again we did definitely had one of those moments of like do not go near him do not go near this man. He is a bad man. <laughs> like, You're like spraying the screen. Like, you, like, no, no. You just triumphed over adversity and have a career and you are a star. And you just like, that's the thing. This movie's really long and it takes forever to get for her to sing New York, New York. But then when it gets there, you're like, that's how you do a climax. Because this is a big, huge number with the song you've been waiting for. Um... It just, it's like, even Scorsese's perceived misses have so much richness, so much to offer on each watch. And every, it was, it was relevatory because they, they had a new print that the new Beverly played and pretty much everybody I heard in the crowd coming out of the thing and online afterwards was like, boy, I just found something that I thought I was not going to like and I really enjoy this movie and I think this is a really it's a cool movie um, it's definitely not um, oddly enough for a musical it's not as fun as Goodfellas or something like that but um, because it's it's a little darker because it's like this like Cassavetes-esque marriage drama Ooh. wrapped around like singing and dancing in the jazz scene <laughs> uh so it's 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 a little off kilter because it's just kind of rough Mm -hmm. in the domestic scenes de niro is like i can't state it enough a real asshole of like the highest order um but it's a really it's a fascinating movie and if it's a miss it's like a curio of the highest order uh but i was i had a blast watching it in the theater and I mean, I'm running really low on Scorsese's that I have not seen, and it kind of makes me a little sad because I love the idea that there are a few others lurking out there that I can save for a rainy day. Uh, when I need a brand new Scorsese movie. But, you got like uh, a, a boxcar Bertha in your pocket? I've seen, I've seen boxcar Bertha. Damn! Like, I'm, I'm, I, New York, New York was one of the last ones. I mean, gosh, yeah, I mean, we're sitting here you know, I've never seen Color of Money. Oh, Color of Money is actually the only one. <laughs> the only Holy one. shit! So you're Pretty like almost. You, you I, like I gotta, that. I gotta watch weird documentary deep cuts, like the the weird friendly boys <laughs> ones or something like that. You have to watch uh, some weird TV movies. These are like uh, are short films. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've seen those too. <laughs> Damn! Yeah, because they Criterion just put them out. You'll have to watch his one episode. I'm just on his Wikipedia yeah. page right now. You have to watch his one episode of Amazing Stories. I know. That's something else. Yeah. <laughs> I'll try that down. But he's the king. Um, it was awesome. 
for another one. I mean, we get a new one, I think, in theory, next year. There'll be a new Scorsese. So uh, to go along with his 80th birthday, brand new movie, Killers of the Flower Moon. Let's let's hope we get that um, next year. But uh, yeah, New York, New York's really cool. There's a lot of uh, really neat stuff in it. It's a big swing. It's a big, bold, stylistic choices all throughout it. Um, it might not totally work in kind of the battle between tones of like wild, like Hollywood musical and grim Cassavetes type movie where people are yelling at each other. <laughs> but uh, it, I, it was relevatory to me. So New York, New York, Martin Scorsese at my sixth spot. Hell yeah. Uh, I want to see that movie now too. That's another another movie where you have uh, accurately described it and your description <laughs> has made me, uh, has piqued my interest. Excellent. <laughs> uh, my number six is, oh man, this movie fucking slaps. This is a good, this is a bona fide slapper. I saw this like on Friday at like during a matinee, it's like 2.30 half filled audience but it felt like the room was like filled with people because like the reactions were so electric uh william friedkins to live and die in la yes jesus fucking christ what a movie what an incredible speaking of grim oh so the darkest the grimmest just like uh you're staring into a rothko just black on black on black just like just total total darkness um, that's all positive that's a that's a positive oh, yeah. right there too <laughs> 10 out of 10 all darkness yeah <laughs> i'm stuck in a void i love it uh more please uh but uh <laughs> it's one of these films where like i went in like knowing virtually nothing uh you know i think I, maybe i saw like a trailer but the trailer doesn't really give you besides the trailer is good at like providing a vibe but it doesn't like give you like the plot which i appreciate uh go in knowing less yeah. uh it's a movie that begins uh, very... I'll just give you a little taste of the beginning. Like, you know, you have William Peterson. William Peterson, like, King. He, King, he has, like, yeah. like five... Probably, like, maybe, like, five feature performances that are, like, like S-tier. Like, just, just like, he, he left, like, this indelible mark. Uh, and then he went on to, like, be star in, like, CSI, uh, CSI or NCIS. One of those forever. Uh, which good for him. Get that, get yeah. that, get that bag. Uh, but uh, but uh, he plays. I love Secret Service agent Richard Chance. So it's already good. Yeah, it's already that, good. That, that yeah. already rules. We're already yeah. like. That's okay. a sentence you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it starts off with uh, you know this really crazy sequence in an elevator or in a um in a hotel. Uh, but then uh. Later on, Willem Dafoe, who kind of plays the big bad in this. And it's I think this is like kind of like his first big role, right? Yeah, it's one of his breakout roles. Oh, man. And he has such a he's so he's so weird and uh, evil, but also cultured. Like, it's a fascinating performance and they don't really give you. He doesn't really the film doesn't give you a lot like you just see you, you just get like mannerisms and quirks and uh his tastes that's kind of like all you're provided in, uh, as insight to this character and it and it, it, it rules that's all you need uh but basically uh richard chance's uh secret service uh, partner who only has three days before <laughs> retirement 
Of uh, course. Of course. Only three days he gets he gets uh he gets got by Willem Dafoe's boys, and suddenly the film goes from being you know we gotta arrest this dude to uh, I'm gonna kill this man no matter what. I'm gonna I'm gonna like settle my score uh, no matter the no matter uh, no matter what laws I break and no matter what crimes I commit personally. And- Very quickly, Peterson begins to be the crazy person yeah the duo <laughs> it, it, it escalates so wildly uh it has it, i'm not gonna i don't want to spoil it like i said but like it has the best uh it has one of the best like uh chase sequences yeah. it might be the best i don't know like it might be my personal favorite just because of its wildness but like uh the score is great. The cinematography is excellent. Uh, another great LA film. A lot of weird, L- a lot of great '80s LA vibes. Uh, check this one out. It's such a bummer. You really can't. You have to. Is there like a Blu-ray you can purchase? I'm, there must be like a. There Blu-ray. was. It's it's currently out of print. Oh shit! Uh, really? Yeah. The Man. Shout Factory edition just went out of print earlier this year. Man. I have I have a very old. Um, I have a very. Let me see if I can. I see it here. <laughs> I have a very old DVD, like oh, the old man. MGM edition of it. But yeah, uh, find yeah. a. Uh, also, one of the greatest twists. In yeah, we will not say a word. No oh no! Is, but uh, oh, the twist rules. Yeah, one of the greatest twists. <laughs> it's, it's like it's so, it's so dark, and the path this film takes is so. It's, it's natural, but it's not what you want. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a film where. It's just like it keeps escalating, and you're like, "Oh, how's he gonna get out of this one?" And then maybe he doesn't get out of this one. I don't know. We'll you have to watch. You'll have to see. Yeah. Uh, so uh, to live and die in LA, try Bona- to fight. Bona fide slapper. Oh yeah, bona fide slapper. Uh, so much fun. Uh, take it away, Don. Uh, number five spot from 1968, The Mercenary, directed Ooh. by Sergio Corbucci. sells death to the highest bidder. He'll sell your life for what he thinks it's worth. He is the mercenary. If you're not ready to buy, be ready to die. He aims for the money. His gun does the rest. Franco Nero. Tony Musanti. Jack Balance. Giovanna Rally. The mercenary. The sun at his back, a gun at his side, a town at his mercy.
uh, starring <laughs> Franco Nero, Jack Palance, and Tony Musante with a score by Ennio Morricone. Uh, a spaghetti Western. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a deep run with Sergio Corbucci this year. I'd, I'd previously seen Django and I'd previously seen The Great Silence, but this year I added Compañeros, The Specialists, The Hellbenders, Navajo Joe, and The Mercenary to my watch list. Mercenary was my favorite of, the, of all of those ones. Um, just a blast. Basically, um, Franco Nero is Kowalski, a well-groomed, greedy mercenary who um, begins a um, partner, uh, <laughs> tenuous partnership with Tony Musante, uh, <laughs> which leads, and uh, they're also dealing with also Jack Palance, who's curly, uh, doing a very strange, very strange performance. And basically, it's just these guys running roughshod all over Mexico, <laughs> like <laughs> trying to get the better of each other, <laughs> double crossing almost every five minutes. There's a double cross <laughs> between these guys. <laughs> and it's so much fun. And you're just by the end, you're just like have like laughing at how much like and the, even the two of them are like not even mad they're like i'm not even mad i'm impressed <laughs> it's kind of like with the whole the double crosses and it's just it's it's so like goofy it's such a blast and i don't know if there's anything more like alive than franco nero bursting into a room carrying a gatling gun laughing his ass off blowing away the entire room <laughs> like, <laughs> And it's just and Musante, who it was, it's been a revelation for me this year. He was in, um, he's the lead of uh, Dario Argento's movie, um, The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, which you're probably most known for. But mm. I saw this other movie he was in called The Incident, which I would, which is an alternate pick for me, um, from 1967, where it's this stark black and white New York movie where he. And Martin Sheen in the, his first role play these like monstrous street toughs who <laughs> climb aboard a late night subway that's filled with different passengers of different like race and creed and gender and sexuality. And they just spend 90 minutes verbally and physically picking everyone apart on the train and it's so unsettling oh, man. <laughs> jen walked in and saw the last 20 minutes she's like what the hell is this i don't like this but i can't <laughs> stop watching this i was like i know this is a cool movie <laughs> like, you know, that's exactly what you want from a movie baby <laughs> like oh but, hell uh, yeah but um the mercenary is i mean like there's some dated stuff clearly there's probably some things that are right little, but super fun awesome score great enthusiastic performances um you might remember this movie was playing alongside of the wrecking crew and once upon a time in hollywood when sharon tate goes to watch her own movie this was the movie playing in the screen over and i saw the poster for it and once upon a time in hollywood and i was like i want to see that movie how do i track that one down it did not disappoint this this movie is a ton of fun i i watched it on the criterion channel and i immediately bought it on blu-ray afterwards to have it in my collection because it's a very neat movie Sergio Carbucci is the um, 
obviously the second greatest Sergio. Yeah. In uh, spaghetti westerns, uh, famous funny story though to close this out. Uh, Burt Reynolds was friendly with Clint Eastwood in the '60s. Yeah, they were friendly his entire life. Yeah. You know, but um, Clint, of course, was like the trendsetter who went over to Italy mm-hmm. and did the Sergio Leone movies and became a megastar. So Bert was like, I'm going to give that a go. Oh, no. He went over and did Navajo Joe with <laughs> uh, Sergio Corbusier. Nothing wrong with him. Navajo Joe's good. Oh, okay, good. Okay, good. It's not good, but it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> right right i see i was I, you know what i'm glad because i was imagining like a starting over scenario where just it did not like um it didn't like burt, burt reynolds did not adhere to that mold, specific mold but if it yeah, works I mean, it works it's fun mm-hmm. it's it's a, it's super entertaining uh but uh burt, <laughs> burt came back and he goes well it appears i picked the wrong sergio <laughs> it was like all burt uh man to be like the dean coots to sergio leone stephen king yeah yeah i pretty much yeah pretty much but i recommend it mercenary super fun what do you got at five? Oh man i will uh i definitely want to check that out uh also jack palance just one of the great hollywood weirdos i just love it oh I yeah lo- i love just his look is so unique no one he it's like the only person i think that's comparable to him physically is christopher reeve like, those are, like, the two, they're both, like, they have that, like, they're both huge and imposing. That's all you need to tell me is Palance is in it, and I'll watch it. Yeah. Uh, even, yeah, even Curly's gold. Why not? Or yeah. is he dead in that one? I can't remember. I believe uh, in order to work around that, he's Curly's brother, like, Burley. Hurley from Lost. Uh, okay, here yeah, we go. Yeah. I mean, it's not... Um... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, I understand. You know, you need to, you need to, you need to make that cash. And I mean, like City Slickers was like a big movie, right? His name is Duke in Curly's Gold because Curly does spoiler. Curly does die. Oh, uh, City Slickers one. Oh, Oh, wait, wait. So he plays his brother in City Slickers two? Is it like? Oh, that's so funny. Because they need to do a City Slickers two. Because they (laughs) need to make money. But um, <laughs> how do we how do we get over? Because he he won the Oscar for it. I remember that. Because it's the first one is like a movie. It's just beginning, middle, and end. Everything is accomplished. There was no need for more city slickers. <laughs> we didn't need to find gold. <laughs> no, it's like you know what I'm really curious about. What happens next for the guys in City Slickers? It's like no, everything. That's that's the glory of movies. Is that. When it's over, it's like, okay, I can live the rest of my life knowing that Billy Crystal and Danny Stern and Bruno Kirby are, they found their manhood again or whatever. I, oh. I, I, so I've definitely seen City Slickers a bunch. It was a clear, clearly a Saunderson House favorite. Oh, man. So, so I, I have two copies of that movie on DVD because <laughs> um, at two different occasions, like when Circuit City was going out of business, both me and I believe one of my parents, uh, but purchased it in two different <laughs> circuit cities going out of business, but I've still never seen it. I have two crisp DVDs unopened. I have a feeling at some point we will get to City Slickers. For oh, the yeah. Show. When we do our, uh, you know, uh, Patricia wedding bracket. Yeah. Se- season who's, 12. <laughs> who's on 30 something? 
Oh, there we go. Bringing it back. Okay. There you go. Wow. Number... That's that's how you do a podcast. <laughs> that's how you, that's how you pod, folks. Lock, lock, you know, like uh, just try to down, lock it up. Uh, yep. Put us, gotta, throw away uh, the key. Number five. Get five. Oh, King of New York. Oh, dude. I love money. Emilio Zappa sends his regards. Oh. <laughs> yeah. You know how I love money. I love I love money. It's, I love money. It's one of the. I remember I texted you and I was. I think I texted you when I first saw it. And I was like, "This movie rules in life in every is, way." In, <laughs> yeah, and look, I know there's a bunch of movies and like a bunch of people that poo poo people. Like you know, you ha- you'll have people that are like, uh, "The Godfather is actually bad because it uh, he promotes uh, the gangster lifestyle," or like Scarface is. But like, come this movie rules. Like I don't know, like. This movie's fun. Like this movie makes being bad seem really cool, which is a lot of fun. But then here's the thing: it seems really cool, but they die in the end, so it's okay. It's all good. Makes everyone bad look cool, and all the cops look awful. Oh, all the cops <laughs> suck and are the yeah. devil. Like yeah. they're all they're you all want, evil. You want him to beat David Caruso so bad? Oh, totally. Oh, God, it's like this movie has so much. There's so many moments of unbridled joy. Like the the moment where just like Christopher Walken is like getting down with everyone, like him and like Paul Calderon and Lawrence Fishburne or whatever. When Lawrence Fishburne's crew comes in, you're like, oh, there's going to be like some sort of race conflict here. Yeah. Oh, totally. And, but then they're all like, Chris is like super cool with everybody. <laughs> it's just like, no, we're going to dance. It's like, uh, yeah. Like this white boy's crazy. Yeah, I know. They're like, he's crazier than anybody. <laughs> Oh, what a goddamn! Uh, I mean, the, the, like Franco Nero, the sheer joy of Chris Walken with like a two Uzis hanging out of a limo, <laughs> just blasting people. <laughs> it, it's just an insane film. It is like, oh man, you just—it's interesting too. Like, you can kind of like follow this, like, like you can see like the influence of like Brian De Palma, and like uh, I don't know, it just feels like he feels like. Uh, it's almost like I feel like Abel Ferreira is like Brian De Palma. If you like, he's like espresso to Brian De Palma's cup of coffee. He's like a more concentrated, insane, like yeah, like he is. He is the bastard, unloved child of if Brian and Scorsese had yes. sex, had sex, and had a baby. <laughs> he and, is, and then the... they abandoned. Then they abandoned their boy. Oh yeah, no, he's like the Bart Simpson's uh, evil twin in the closet, tying uh, birds to mice or whatever, sewing them together. Oh man, and that's a that that's all positive, Abel. Oh, that he rules. I want. Yeah, I wish he was my uncle. I love Abel. I want to. Yeah. I want to live with him in Italy for a year and go insane. Yeah, I want to make like a movie in his apartment with him. <laughs> yeah, him and like Willem Dafoe and Ethan, yep. just like the the most beautiful craggly men of Hollywood. I saw Schrader posted a photo of um, Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, and Oscar Isaac all giving the finger to the camera. And mm. Schrader was just like, my actors. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> cool. Uh, cool guys. I love it. Cool, uh, all, cool. All, all of you are cool guys. <laughs> I love, I love, oh God. They need to make a movie that's like, uh, you know, like bad moms or bad, just bad, bad directors. It's Abel Ferreira, Paul Schrader, uh, maybe Brian De Palma, you throw them in there too. And they're like, they're going to Vegas or they're having to direct a commercial for like Target and then things go awry. 
Yeah. Uh, I want to, come on, we, we, we're we owed this, folks. Um, yeah, it's like old guys getting their groove back, but it's cool old directors who yeah. are like dicks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that are just, yeah, just total bad grandpas. Just total, yeah. Uh, yeah, just, uh, man, just, just everyone, spirit, they're all spiritually ripped-torn. Uh, yeah, there we go. King of New York, watch it. It's great. Uh, so much fun. The music's yeah. great. The acting's great. Um, Wesley Snipes is in it. He's really good, too. Uh, yep. As, like, the second evil cop. Uh, Not quite as evil as Caruso, but... Oh, no. He's, like, yeah, he's, like, definitely a little more, yeah. Um, he's he's a bad boy, but he's not as bad as Davy, Davy Cruz. Yeah. I loved, I love David Cruz. <laughs> Uh, he's so good. I love him. Uh, that that movie rocks. I I co-sign completely mm-hmm. on uh, King of New York. Uh, my number four, uh, fascinating movie. Um, saw early in the year and has not really left my mind too much. 1970, an Italian film called Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. This is a really really cool movie uh jean marie volante who is a really cool italian actor uh some of you might know him from fistful of dollars he plays ramon the villain in that movie he's also in it for a few dollars more um and was kind of um like an intense italian acting king uh for most of his career um movie opens he's a he's a police inspector and the movie opens, he kills his mistress in, like, the first few minutes mm-hmm. of the movie. And then covers up the crime. And ah. then he gets charged with investigating the crime. Because he's an up-and-coming police inspector. <laughs> and he starts planting clues to steer his subordinate officers toward a series of other suspects. He then exonerates these suspects himself and leads the investigators toward himself to prove that in society because he's a handsome upper class guy who's making his way up the ranks who has the right friends that he is above suspicion it's like this social game and he can get away with anything even while being investigated wow he eventually confesses and they refuse to believe him and he recants he receives approval and um then it ends you'll find out the i won't reveal the ending but it is this wild twist and turns of this sociopath and this like harsh critique of italian bourgeois society all the way through and it won the academy award for best international film mm-hmm. the year it came out and it was nominated for best original screenplay even um and it's fascinating interesting one of a kind movie um that i just i really i thought was really really cool obviously it has a um kind of crime thriller elements to it but it's definitely like using those to infiltrate in a lot of political and kind of frankly leftist political ideas um directed by elio petri um i dug in and watched a few other movies of his this year um quiet place in the country also starring franco nero which is a very disturbing horror film 
horror thriller kind of film. And then a really interesting one called Property is No Longer a Theft. Great title as well. There's uh, just a lot. Uh, I was just going to say, there's like a lot of like, I feel like we should do, uh, maybe we should do like an Italian actor at some point. There's like yeah. so much. Uh, our, uh, we've had, this is a, you know, past the damn garlic bread. This is a very Italian heavy. Uh, <laughs> True. And I love it. It like a lot of like, I don't know, like there's, there's like a Italy, there's like a lot of pathos in that nation uh, for many good reasons. And uh, it, it translates into like a very rich cinematic tapestry. Yeah. And all across the board from the trashiest of the trashy, you know, sex thrillers to the goriest horror films you've ever seen to the most austere art films like the Antonioni films to the wildness of like Fellini and Lena Wertmuller mm-hmm. um, down the line. Man, yeah, well, I mean, well, even like, what was that movie we watched at the Hollywood, the, 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 uh, the, the, um, the Halloween Fred Fest, the one where like they eat at Wendy's. Oh, um, naked underneath. Naked underneath, like even no, that nothing movie. underneath, nothing no, underneath, nothing underneath. Nothing. <laughs> underneath, it's uh, there's nothing. Um, but, but yeah, like, there, yeah, it's like nothing underneath is a great example because you know on the surface it's like low rent mm-hmm. Brian De Palma, basically. But then, like the more you watch, like this is weird and idiosyncratic, and there's a lot to like. And yeah. that Wendy, and that Wendy scene is um, imprinted on me for the rest of my life yeah there is uh, something that it i feel like that movie is like a lot of like italian cinema in a nutshell where like it is like a combination of like like you're in this place with a lot of history and just a lot of texture as a result of that history and then there's also just crass American commercialism, <laughs> like permeating throughout it as well. Like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's beautiful. I love well, it. Well, like, they're all like, it is kind of like all these movies, so many of the Italian ones of this era, they actually do have something to say and they're interesting. Mm-hmm. But they are also where it's like, you got to get asses in seats. So stabbing topless women usually it's the way to do that for some reason yeah that, <laughs> yeah people people are yeah people are freaks they like it yeah the, yeah because everyone's a pervert yeah and as brian de palma would say yeah. <laughs> hey. uh but yeah i investigation i can't recommend investigation of a citizen above suspicion more i thought it was um another one i watched on the criterion channel mm-hmm. and then i immediately went ahead and uh bought the criterion blu-ray um another jean maria volante film that i do recommend as well is a movie called the matey affair oh another one i watched this year uh recommended by alex cox on the um Mm -hmm. parallax view blu-ray so it'll give you an idea of what kind of movie the matey affair is uh political intrigue conspiracy you know uh very cool and scorsese's a fan of that one too so that was my uh Number four, what do you got for four? Oh, man, I, I am probably after this uh, podcast recording going to sign up for the Criterion channel because <laughs> there's a lot of good movies on it. Um, my number four is uh, maybe like the most popular, broadest film 
on my list. Uh, a movie that I'm so glad I rectified uh, my lack of seeing it this year. Uh, it's the it was like the last Quentin Tarantino movie I had not seen. Uh, this is Jackie Brown. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I think it might be my favorite Quentin Tarantino movie now. Uh, it was originally, uh, although like I need to rewatch Reservoir Dogs. I need to rewatch Pulp Fiction. I gotta rewatch uh, the Kill Bills. Uh, maybe just all the movies I need to rewatch. But uh, <laughs> but uh, there's just something. I think this is like one of like Quentin's like less. Um, it's obviously one of his less lesser known films, but there, it, I think it's like his most mature film. I think like you're dealing with these people, a lot of people like in the middle of their lives uh, or past their prime, trying to just make do. I think it's like one of my favorite. It's one of the best casts I think in his like just like yeah you have like Samuel Jackson plays like his the best haircut of any villain the hair and beard like his insane beard is wonderful like I truly love his aesthetics in this movie Robert De Niro plays one of the all-time great sleazebags uh Pam Greer excellent she yeah. it's the role she deserves and it's fucked that she just didn't like reignite she just didn't cause like a uh, second like wave of awesome Pam Greer films, films to be released she should have won best actress at the oh, academy awards 100 percent uh, uh she's uh, you know just totally just the level of pathos her character has and the level of control she uh, maintains throughout the film despite her situation uh, is uh, is beautiful. Uh, and then Robert Forrester, fuck, yeah, his, who's yeah. probably reprising his character in Alligator, which is nuts to me, which rules. <laughs> I love that. Uh, and such warmth. And, yeah. I mean, you're right, though. It's, it's, it's Tarantino's most tender movie. Yeah, it's like, it's very, yeah, there's a hopefulness to it, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Yeah, Robert Forster almost plays like a, I'm surprised that there was never a movie where Robert Forster played Norm MacDonald's father. <laughs> he felt like old Norm MacDonald, weirdly. Like, there should have been a Dirty Work too, where Robert Forster came in as, like, old man MacDonald. I would have loved that. Norm, I'm very disappointed in you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> stop, stop hanging from the ceiling. Jill was not that bad. <laughs> I tried to explain that joke to my friend yesterday, and he did not laugh at it. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, it's funny. It's no, funny. that rules. No, we're... It's, it's really funny. The more we do this podcast, the more I think Jack and Jill is like a piece of art and actually it's incredible. It's actually quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like 10 out of 10. Like, by the end of this, by like the end of 2021, I'm going to be like, put Jack and Jill in the Criterion. <laughs> it needs the cra- it needs the uh, needs all those special features. I want like yeah. uh, <laughs> I want Michael Phillips to write a uh, essay about it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I agree. <laughs> yeah, give me that. Uh, who's that? Uh, the not Anthony Lane. Who's the guy that we sometimes? Oh, uh, Rich, Richard Richard Brody probably likes it. Yeah, we need that. I, Richard- you, I haven't looked that up, but I bet I bet he did like it. We need that Richard Brody take. I know I know our boy Armand White loves it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. They, oh, yeah, I do not need to look that up to know that. <laughs> yeah, Armand, I love Armand. God bless him. What a... I used to read his reviews all the time. All the time. Like, I, I slow down, but he's in a different universe. 
Oh, yeah, he, he exists in, like, a parallel reality. He, it, it, it's, and it's always been the question, is he in on the joke? Is he, like, is he aware of, like, what he's doing? Or is it sincere? I, impossible to tell. I think he's, like, one of those dudes that has just, like, architected his own universe. I think he has, like, created this, like, parallel world that he resides in. And you know what? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm... Although, like, doesn't he like write for the National Review now? I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, he's gone full. Yeah, he just he just kind of like leaned in on being, you know, yeah, yeah. conservative. Get that paper, King. Whatever, you know, <laughs> just get that, get that, get that, get, get that paper, Armand. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of a lot of that happening in this episode. Uh, but yeah, Jackie Brown. It's one of the great. Um, yeah, it's like, it's yeah, it's uh, Quentin's. I think you said it. It's his most tender film, and mm-hmm. it's it's and it's like a good. This is a fun one with a group of people too. I think watch yep. it with a group. It's fun fun to see a Tarantino in the theater. Uh, just co-sign. Jen says it. It's her favorite. Oh yeah, Tarantino Wonderful. movie as well. Wunderbar. Uh, yep. Uh, my number three, number three, number three. The cops try to stop him. The mafia tries to stop <laughs> him, but nobody's going to stop him because he's Hollywood man. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> of course. 1976 is Hollywood Man, directed by Jack Starrett, starring the god William Smith as Rafe Stoker. Another great character name. Uh, For those of you who don't know, he's a cash-strapped actor-director who reluctantly agrees to put up almost all of his personal fortune as collateral to shady investors in order to complete production of his passion project action film. Um, The shady investors, though, are gonna double cross him almost immediately and they hire an unstable biker gang <laughs> to try and sabotage the production <laughs> as it goes uh, you, sh- uh, you, sh- you shouldn't do that they engage in escalating acts of violence against the film crew and other random people while stoker desperately attempts to complete his film shoot among other weird production delays um this movie rocks and it is so much fun. It is so crazy. Um, I do truly believe it is the most authentic look at actually what it takes to make a movie <laughs> that's ever been made, um, including the conclusion, which I will not reveal what happens at the end of this movie. Oh, no, Don. Oh, no. Maybe you shouldn't be making movies, buddy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is so funny. And like, William Smith's movie, you're seeing how hard he's trying to get it made, and you're like, I don't know if this can be very good. <laughs> like, like, oh yeah, he's it's so funny. Like he's so clearly making like a sub like CC uh, and company. Yeah, it's yeah, it's like basically, yeah, like a biker movie. It's like yeah. a, a movie Corman would have made in his sleep. Um, <laughs> yet for Rafe Stoker, it's like life, it literally is life and death making this movie and the weird subplot with the biker gang and the psycho who i mean just it and barney the stuntman oh that guy rules i love that character it like this comp this strange combination of like biker movie mafia action movie and like insider hollywood how to make a movie kind of movie uh and it's all thrilling 
the end of the movie made me want to jump out of my chair and just like clap spontaneously just because I was just like, I can't believe they did this. This movie is so much fun. William Smith gets to play not only the good guy, but the lead, which is great to see. It was a big, big year for everybody. I mean, obviously William Smith passed away this year, Hmm. but it's led to so many amazing tributes and screenings of his movies and kind of going back and just like hoping to see him in things. And it's, I mean, it's, you know, it stinks it's in death, but boy, I mean, and truly loved. And, you know, and each the the new Beverly has been doing almost monthly screenings of at least one double feature of his movies. And uh, it's been a blast, you know, to kind of hang with him and Hollywood man is at the near peak of what of what he of what he does and his charms and his his uh in, in this wild b movie where he's putting in all the effort too for a yeah. movie that maybe i don't know if this movie they thought was going to be anything special um oh yeah you wonder like yeah if like hollywood man if there was some hollywood man s stuff happening in the background while hollywood man was being produced yeah and it should be noted this is directed by jack starrett who is um in my opinion, like one of the most underrated directors of um, kind of like ground level B action. Uh, he directed Nam's Angels or The Losers, which also stars William Smith and Paul Coslow and a bunch of guys from that time period. Um, how do you infiltrate a Vietnamese fortress that has a cia agent who's been captured you send in a biker gang complete with their (laughs) motorcycles that's what you do you gotta see it but he also directed cry blood apache slaughter cleopatra jones the gravy train also known as the dion brothers and um a huge favorite of uh, he did the third walking tall movie and then um one of jen and i's all-time favorite movies race with the devil man and he's also um, the particularly cruel cop who jails Stallone in Rambo 1. Oh! <laughs> so, in an acting performance. Uh, Hollywood Man, I think, I don't know where you can watch it at this point. I think yeah. it, it, it might be on YouTube. Uh, give, that a, give that a go. It's not a good version. There's no real good version. Patrick and I got really lucky yes to see it on the big screen with a very 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 receptive crowd (laughs) (laughs) with uh, william smith's family in attendance which is groovy and uh, you know it's so neat because you see them and they've come to every one of these uh they've even come to the last one the one that cc and company played at and jen went to that and um they're just moved by the fandom that you know their husband father you know grandfather whatever still has it's yeah it's incredibly cool that the spark of william smith is being kept alive like and he's yeah. he's 100 percent like an actor um that was not on my radar before this year and uh i'm glad that he got on said radar like uh he's yeah we can guarantee you once you know him and you do know him you just need to think about it a little bit you've seen him in something Every time you see him in another movie, you're gonna a smile will come across your face and like, oh, 
something's going to happen here because he's here. <laughs> like, you know, he's going to beat somebody up. He's going to get beat up. <laughs> or, you know, or, oh, yeah. No, he will become like he becomes a part of your like he's like a Joe Don Baker or like a uh, like you said, the aforementioned Paul Coslow, where it's like, oh, I'm in good hands. I'm in this weird yeah. craggly man is going to do something uh, ludicrous and I'm going to hoot and holler at it. Yeah. And he's he's going to he's sincere all the way through all of his performances, you know, and he's one of the great heavies of all time. And um, one of the greatest sets of arms in movie history. So the, yeah, the guy was jacked. He's <laughs> imposing. Everything else. Yeah. He, he like in another world, he would have been in a Marvel. Yep. Oh yeah. No, he could have been Thanos. Freaking Thanos. <laughs> he would have been a good Thanos. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I had to have, I had to put Hollywood man in there at number three. Hell yeah. I'm glad uh, I, I'm glad it got a, I almost put that in my uh, uh, like special. I almost put that in the alligator slot, but, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad, but I had a feeling you were going to, yeah, I knew you were going to include it. So I was like, I'm going to let, I'm going to let Don take this bad boy. Yeah. I mean, you knew I, I, I was particularly enthusiastic yeah, about you like, Hollywood Man. Oh man. No. And with good reason that movie uh, slaps. Also, that'd be a fun movie to watch, you know, definitely, you know, I have to find the right crowd, but man, if you have the right crowd, Oh, it's so fun. Yep. Good party so movie. Fun. Uh, what do you have three? Oh, number three. Oh, man. Uh, another movie uh, we saw together at the New Brev. Surprise, surprise. Uh, <laughs> one of my biggest surprises of the year. I went into this movie not uh, anticipating much, to be honest. I was like, ah, this movie could be good. This movie could not be. Uh, it's, you know, a director of uh, that I know is like pretty solid, but I hadn't seen any of his work. Uh, you know, it's a Hal Ashby joint. Uh the landlord. Mm. I really, really like this movie. This was a very weird, unique film that captures a very specific moment in time that you could not, I don't think you could it's just one of those movies that you can't recreate because it is just capturing a specific era in New York, uh, the class relations at the time. Uh, it has maybe the best Pope Bridges performance uh, of all time. I mean, there are probably some better ones. I love them in The Descendants, but I think this might be my personal favorite Pope Bridges performance uh, as he plays a, um, a snooty wasp named Elgar Winthrop Julius Enders. One of the great, one of the great waspy names. I love every, like, Elgar is such a good, like, wasp name. Every, every if you're going to name your wasp character, it should sound like a, the name of a, a character from the Coneheads. Like, that mm-hmm. should be the, <laughs> that should be, like, the rule. Um, but he, like, he's kind of like a wrist, a, a wrist, a rich trust fund kid, you know, Got, he's got wealthy parents. He doesn't have to really do much. He doesn't have to like really do a watch out for, you know, he doesn't have to work if he doesn't want to. And he decides to like, you know, buy an inner city tenement in Park Slope, Brooklyn, uh, which is currently undergoing gentrification. Uh, yeah, yeah, already basically already happened. <laughs> yep, already happened. Unfortunately, I, he wow. Yeah, this movie is kind of ahead of its time. It, that's uh, where the squid and the whale people live. By the time that moved, by the by the 1980s, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Jeff da- Jeff Daniels and all. Oh, there's there's a there's an all time dad's rock kind of guy. <laughs> oh, for real, a huge dad's rock boy. Yeah, uh, my minor Dickens. 
but it's kind of like about like the racial relationships and the class relationships between Bo Bridges, uh, Diana Sands, uh, who portrays this lady, Francie Fanny Johnson. She's like a woman he begins to date. Um, it's an endlessly fascinating feature. Uh, Bo having to navigate the world of his tenement and the world of his weird upper class nudie family. Uh, the inherent tension within that Lee Grant is his like, uh, you know, lush uh, mother uh, who's a bit of a basket case herself. It's it's a wild film. Mm-hmm. And him kind of dealing with the fact that um, in modern terms, he would claim to be woke, but then yeah. all of the kind of rug sweeping out from underneath of him revealing his own prejudices and privilege as the movie progresses yeah it's truly yeah they take some turns towards the end that are um kind of brutal and Mm. but beautiful too like there's just a lot of great like i don't know uh, uh there's a complexity to the conversations that are had in this film that i think people would be uh afraid of tackling nowadays and i and i think he hit the nail on the head too it is like a proto this movie is such a proto hipster movie this is like mm. so much of the anxiety and it, it demonstrates it's a testament to like how so many of these anxieties related to like class and gentrification and and racism still permeate like we have not fixed any of these problems he probably never will unfortunately um also this movie and i'm just reading this now was written by bill gunn yeah Gondra and Hess, that's yeah. crazy. The great Bill Gunn, yeah. Yeah, he rules. That's, yeah. So, like, it's just a unique film. Uh, there's, like, the it has one of the greatest intros. I love the intro to this movie. Yeah, it's got some that's really it. aggressive, um, unique editing patterns. Yeah. To kind like of it, open the thing. It takes risks. Uh, yeah. It's it's just, yeah. which It just takes risks. It's really, yeah, cool movie. Uh, give it a watch the landlord uh not a movie to watch with a group of people this is not a hoot and holler movie but it's a fun introspect like is watch it and uh i don't know just be impressed it's good yeah no i agree um it's a cool movie definitely uh my number two Mm. uh, from 1979 directed by jonathan kaplan over the edge welcome to new granada where people come to escape city life. It has safe streets, clean air, good schools. It's a perfectly planned community, but something strange is happening. Something that wasn't part of the plan. Seems to me like you all were in such a hopped up hurry to get out of the city that you turn your kids into exactly what you're trying to get away from. Something that could drive this town over the edge. You're to take these home to your parents is to let them know about a special emergency meeting to discuss the problems about your people. Get your toes on another kid. He's a dead kid. I don't know how many of us are willing to admit just how deep in trouble some of the kids in this city are. Tension is rising. You people talk about these kids like they're a bunch of animals. Tempers are raging. Your son 
and some of his friends are part of this. My son and his friends are part of this town. Time is running out. And something's got to explode. They were old enough to know better, but too young to care. And now this town is over the edge. Uh, this movie is awesome. Uh, basically, fictional, isolated, planned community known as New Granada which is about <laughs> east of Denver. Um, all of these like punk ass kids riding their, riding their bikes around, shooting BB guns off of overpasses at passing cars. Uh, <laughs> they are just pissed off. And the school and the cops and their parents are just trying to hold them back in their stupid planned community that's supposed to show off how like nice and all American everyone is and all these kids want to do is go to their rec center and listen to punk rock but the man doesn't want them to do it so the kids after a particular things escalate on all sides oh the kids are all like drug dealers it's it's awesome Uh... things escalate on all sides with between the kids and the cops until there's a tragedy and the kids decide to strike back on the entire planned community. All of these teenagers. And the soundtrack open movie like opens with cheap tricks surrender. Oh, you got the cars, yeah. <laughs> the Van Halens, you really got me. You got teenage lobotomy by this the Ramones. And it's just you're so on the side of the kids you're just like fuck these parents fuck the cops and you know you're you get their anger you get how upset they are and it is it just it's like a punk rock movie and i can't believe i'd never seen it before apparently it was one of kurt cobain's absolute favorite movies Ah. um rick linklater is a fan he said dazed was influenced by it Mm. um it's uh stars matt dillon in one of his first i think his first role as one of the kids um all the kids are great uh you just love them they're funny they're endearing you want them to win um it ends in kind of a bittersweet way as only something like this could but it was it is so entertaining and just so exciting and for 1979 it just like it just felt like a it was just it was it felt like a just blasted off the screen yeah and just full engagement full involvement again another new beverly one that uh we saw or i saw <laughs> and uh yeah i just can't recommend this one enough i mean i think i was really late to the game on this movie everyone i much like sinister everyone i've brought this one up to has been like yeah that's a cool movie <laughs> i've seen it <laughs> um, but uh <laughs> but it's it's it is really good and uh, such a good time. And it just kind of, there's just like this part where they go to this party and the Van Halen songs plan and just like the way it captures like these kids entering the party, just for something as wild and 
kind of over the top as this movie is mm-hmm. there are so many like genuine kid moments that you can kind of like rec- like in the same vein almost like licorice pizza like the the vein of just recognizing these things especially in a pre-internet time of like just like going around with your friends hopefully you're bumping into people like oh I wonder if that cool girl's gonna be at this party i hope she's not with anybody you know yeah. or that those kind of feelings and then also just like being bummed out and misunderstood by the, the adults yeah there's like a beauty to the limitation of um like the the the, the of an era the limitations of an era where we did not have access to everything mm-hmm. on a little phone uh like yeah you lose a little bit of the majesty uh and the sublim like uh, there's like a the serenity you lose the magic the serendipity like things can happen you know uh, uh just out of nowhere when mm-hmm. you're not like fucking on twitter or, or instagram or whatever all that feel like an old man saying this but like no it's 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 true though yeah i think that and i think that's why like when more and more i'm more and more attracted to like a lot of these movies like these hangout movies of a different time Mm -hmm. because it's just like time seems to move in a much more appealing way to me in these older movies than it does now where it's like okay what do we like you know, we were talking about that concert I went to last night mm-hmm. and there was a part of me, like I was, we were toward the back, but we were behind the circle pit. And then there was the front of the stage with everybody like screaming and the singer was like, screaming over the crowd. And I was like, this is so like the hands raised at him. I was like, this is so cool. Should I take a photo of this? Mm-hmm. Or should I take some video and send it to Jen to show her how cool this is or something? And then there was a part of me, it's like, no. You should just like live it and try and remember it the best that you can because this is cool and spontaneous and happening in front of you. And isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. yeah, I know. I'm with you. Like the, the, yeah, it's funny. It's weird how like those hangout movies, those uh, uh, films that merely kind of you witness people ambling about like there's something that has become increasingly cinematic about that it's rarer nowadays and there is something um yeah like anything can happen at any moment i don't know there's just a beauty to that i don't know just watching people interact with yeah when the only thing that they need to do is interact with each other in that moment especially young people Mm mm-hmm Oh yeah, people figuring themselves out. Yeah, it's so can't I can't recommend this one more. I think this one, I just I was over the moon and I I felt a high Ooh. after watching this movie and I I immediately like got the soundtrack and was I listened to it for weeks afterwards and just like to kind of bring back that feeling that I had while I was watching the movie and it just uh, isn't that the best. No, it rules. When you're like that, like, oh, man, it's like, yeah, it's an easy example. It's like the first time you watch Drive and you're like, okay, I got to buy the soundtrack and like, yeah, listen to drive it. Drive around like, and yeah. to a real hero. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> gotta, I, yeah. Gotta find I mean, a pizza place. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, because you because like the best that's what the best movies do for you is that they like transport you and just give you this feeling of like even if dark things happen or whatever, like in Drive or in Over the Edge, um, but there are these like kind of visuals and tones and moods mm. and vibes. As we yeah, always talk about that. You just want to like feel that vibe. I've become more, I used to be such a, before we did this podcast, I was such a, like, I was so stuffy about, like, a movie has to have a story and characters have to have depth. But uh, one thing I've loved about doing this podcast with you is I've, like, loosened my, like, I'm so much, I've become increasingly a vibes guy. I'm like, I think vibes, I don't know if it matters as much to me as story, but it definitely, like, I'm at a point now where I'm like, yeah, like, I love, I love a mood and a texture and that'll be enough for a film to work for me at this mm-hmm. point, which I, yeah, which I love. Uh, should I do my number two? Yeah, no, I, I just want to say, though, real quick, there's nothing wrong with a top-notch tight story. Oh, 100%. No way. Yeah. But uh, but there is a real joy in just hanging out, too. <laughs> oh, 100%. Yeah, no, like, uh, yeah, you're dazed and confused. Your licorice pizzas, like, mm-hmm. 100%. I love just, like, chilling with some villains yep. <laughs> like okay number two go for it this movie the vibe of this movie is chaos it's one of the funniest movies i've seen i think i, I saw this at the uh american cinematech actually and like um full crowd everyone heeing and hawing this film is just has an insane energy it might be one of my favorite comedies now. It's probably my top three comedies. Uh, 1972's What's Up, Doc? Edward's poetic. I'm so pathetic that I always have found it best Instead of getting it off my chest To let him rest unexpressed I hate parading my serenading as I'll probably miss a bar. But if this ditty is not so pretty, at least it'll tell you how great you are. Yeah. Starring Peter Bogdanovich, or not starring, directed by, <laughs> nice try, Patrick, uh, directed <laughs> by Peter Bogdanovich, written by uh, Buck Henry, David Newman, and Robert Benton. What a a murderer's row of, like, (laughs) excellent writers. Um, Just uh, one of the funniest movies ever made. Uh, Barbara Streisand, you know, she... uh, Down to the carrot uh, eating, she is... She just plays an avatar for Bugs Bunny, and she's (laughs) incredible. It's so... It's such a Bugs Bunny-esque performance. Um, There are... uh, There's basically a... Uh, I guess like a research convention, like a musical convention in this hotel in San Francisco. And simultaneously, there's also like spy intrigue occurring. Um, I'm going to list, there's four, basically there's like four uh, identical plaid overnight bags. I'm going to list what's in each of them. Um, (laughs) There's one that contains igneous tambula rocks that have certain musical properties uh a mysterious top secret government bag that has top secret government papers which have been obtained illegally 
Um, and so there's like a Mr. Smith and a Mr. Jones. There's like spies that are trying to find this bag that are featured throughout the film. There's the wealthy socialite Miss Van Hoskins who has a bag containing a, her sizable collection of valuable jewels. Oh, uh, and then there's uh, Judy's bag, the, the Bugs Bunny character, and it's just filled with clothing and a large dictionary. And so these bags are constantly like thrown and jostled about. People are various people with various intents are vying for these bags at all times uh you know uh <laughs> ryan o'neill is like this stuffy uh he always plays like it's like a rocky his performance uh reminds me of like you know um who is it in rocky horror picture show is that barry boswick who yeah. plays the uh, yeah it's barry boswick before it's just he's very like you know White bread, uh, glasses. I'm a big old nerd, but I'm kind of fun. Um, a smart guy. Like, uh, it's just, it's really, it's it's kind of like the total opposite of his, uh, his Paper Moon character. I much, yeah, it's a great, it's he's a great, a surprisingly versatile actor, Ryan O'Neill. Did not realize that. Um, Kenneth Mars is one of my favorite, uh, all-time goofy performances is like the the vaguely northern european hugh simon he's kind of like this other his this like <laughs> this competing musicologist um <laughs> this movie also has one of the all-time great car chases um yeah. uh, that in freak uh, that uh heavily uh utilizes san francisco's uh insane topography um it's yeah this movie is just fun from beginning to end once it starts, it really doesn't stop. There's no lulls. Um, just, yeah, what a great movie. Peter Bogdanovich is a gem. Like, the whole, yeah, I'd say, um, yeah, funniest movie of the year for me to watch, I think. I love, yeah, give it a give it a go. It's just, it's just, um, it's madcap in a way. Uh, even, like, a lot of films nowadays uh, can't capture. Like, yeah. like It's a true comedy. Oh, yeah, 100%. Just... Joke a minute. Yeah. It's it's super super duper funny. I agree yep. completely with you. Great pick. Great pick. Um, I guess this gets to number one. Ooh. Number one pick. So um my number one is from 2003. It's a Taiwanese film directed by Sai Ming Leong. Whoa. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. And it's called Goodbye Dragon Inn. Um this is a stunner of a movie the kind of highest of highbrow art kind of film mm -hmm. so i'll just give you a um kind of a rundown during the last 90 minutes of a screening of the film dragon inn which is a martial arts movie of the 60s i believe or 67 yeah uh in an old taipei cinema about to close down um the hobbled ticket woman tries to find the projectionist to give him a steamed bun a Japanese tourist seeks a homosexual encounter, uh, but is brushed off uh, when the person who they try to hook up with simply tells him that the place is haunted. Then an actor from the actual movie from 67 who is watching the film with tears in his eyes exits the, th exits, exits the theater, runs into another actor from the film who attended it with his grandson, and they exchange each other well wishes. There is no dialogue in the film for the first 47 minutes of its 82-minute runtime. Fuck. Uh, it's all mood, all vibes, 
and it is simply this melancholy look back at this decrepit theater in this rain-swept Taipei and these people who are watching themselves on screen and then all these lonely people wandering around this seemingly endlessly large movie theater looking for some level of connection and some finding it and some not. And Sai um, is a wow. filmmaker who um, I've really become very into in the last two years. Um, and just one of the most interesting, so basically he, you know, does these pretty heavy duty a art with a capital A movies. Uh, interesting things about him, uh, the guy who plays a projectionist is an actor named Lee Kang Sheng, mm-hmm. who has been the lead actor in every single Simon Lang movie since the early, since 1994. Mm-hmm. So watching him age from being like a punk teen in 1994 to this year's movie Days, in which he's a 50-year-old man, is pretty like almost link leadery in its use of real time passing and kind of using this guy who's this vessel to do these movies about loneliness and desperate need of connect for connection all the way through. And so they so Sia said he won't make a movie without him. Mm. They live together in this Whoa. abandoned hotel in <laughs> Taiwan. Uh, Sai is gay. Li Kangsheng is not. But they wow. just plutonically live together. Um, there was this documentary that came out called Afternoon that I watched, which is a 130-minute single-take chat with the two of them in just one room in their like decrepit abandoned hotel that they live in. And um, just talking about life and one of them smokes cigarettes and one of them talks more than the other one. And it's as, it's as exciting as any movie. It's just like the way that these movies start off boring and then boring becomes transcendent. That when something actually happens, you're like, oh, that has to mean the world because nothing has happened <laughs> basically <laughs> throughout these movies and like they're i don't like i so i went and saw days the new one mm-hmm. it's in spoiler it's in my top 10 movies of 2021 but it's basically like this like two hour you know almost 135 minute movie mm-hmm. about a guy with a bad neck who's looking to get it fixed and then this other guy who's like cooking, we don't know what he's dealing, he's much younger. Then in the middle, we find out the other guy is a hustler. And he gives the guy with the bad neck a full body massage that lasts 25 minutes Jesus Christ. of screen. If you see the entire <laughs> thing. But then it's over and they like hold hands and then they part. And then we see them kind of go their separate ways. And you're like, oh, that's just about how desperate you need for this one beautiful moment of connection (laughs) in this terribly lonely and sad world in life. 
Uh, and you're uh, like, this movie is doing nothing and contains everything <laughs> in a way. And I have to say, I think the same vibe I got from Goodbye Dragon Inn. And I, his movies are not, I mean, they're not Avatar. <laughs> you know, you're not going to. But if you are in the mood for something adventurous and something a little off the beaten path that go, runs in different rhythms, mm-hmm. but is really emotionally resonant and interesting and artful from one of the world's premier art film directors. Um, this would be a wonderful place to start. I also saw his first movie, uh, which is actually his most accessible movie too, Rebels of the Neon God, just got announced for its first Blu-ray oh, wow. release in the United States. And I can't recommend Rebels of the Neon God enough. Very cool movie. And a lo- like I said, a little bit uh, little bit easier. Like it's better to start at the beginning and go with him as he goes deeper <laughs> into kind of um, t- more difficult filming methods and more difficult attempts at kind of distancing the audience mm-hmm. you know in it's like he is a slow cinema king of the highest order and uh yeah it's been really cool this year continuing to get to know his work and this one uh stuck out the most for me so goodbye dragon in man i not going to say what I say every time. I mean, you already know what I'm going to say. I want to see that. <laughs> but, uh, but like, um, God, an impressive list on. And I love the, um, also just a very, uh, it's international. Like, you have watched a lot of, like, it's not just, like, American stuff, which I think is, uh, I think everyone should do their due diligence and watch a film or film on occasion. Do something with subtitles. Don't be afraid, I, folks. I think um, it, uh, you know, especially if we're not allowed to travel or it's a good way to get to know a different culture mm. than your own. And you can learn a lot about, I think you can learn a lot about the world and kind of, I mean, I'm always fascinated when I watch some of these films, like we really like, well, it would really like the Matei affair, the one I brought up earlier, mm-hmm. it was a huge deal in Italy, something like this like political controversy, true, a true story. Wow. And I've never heard of it, Mm-mm. but it's a big deal there. And that's cool that I know that now. It feels cool to know that now. Oh, and 100%. Have a little bit more depth of knowledge of some of these places. And like, you know, we were talking even about seeing old photos of Los Angeles or New York. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what else is cool. Rome, Taipei, yeah. places <laughs> in India. You know, I mean, it's yeah. it, that's like the most one of the most exciting things about movies is it gives you a chance to experience so many worlds and give get a little bit of a taste of each of these worlds and you can like forge yeah it's like it allows you to forge connections with the uh, places you've never experienced it's a wonderful yeah movies yeah. are good yeah movies yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah i guess that's lesson learned movies are good yep uh number one for me uh has to be space jam too no yep. i'm not no. Yep, yep yep gotta love it when still jamming <laughs> yeah still jamming after all these years uh you know bugs bunny he's great as a little cartoon but when he's cgi hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah so i mean you know yeah another movie it's like what happens next <laughs> yeah space well, jam universe here we go my real number one uh, pushing all that aside uh get out of here space jam we don't need you we don't cotton to your trash uh 
uh, get out of here, Space Jam. But um, number one, I saw this movie. Uh, another one I saw with Don at the New Bev. I think I saw a 10 p.m. showing, and it was like revelatory for me. Uh, it was one of those movies where I left kind of like in awe of what I witnessed, and I didn't realize movies could be. Um, well, I mean, I, I realized that movies could be like this, like risky and but just i don't know when you see someone like truly create something one of a kind and unique like that always leaves me in awe like when i've seen something it's like um it's like when i experience a guitar solo for the first time or something or when i see like a piece of art like this movie to me was like comparable to like when i first I think like Bad Out of Hell was the first time I heard a guitar solo and was like, holy shit, guitar is crazy. Like, I remember like being a little kid and like that, that, that Proustian memory lives with me forever, hearing Meatloaf for the first time and just having my mind blown or like, I don't know, or going to like the Grand Canyon and being overwhelmed. Uh, <laughs> like, I remember being like Ted and seeing the Grand Canyon and like I had to like, like I had to sit down. Like, it was just so much. Uh, but uh, it's Francis Ford Coppola's Rumblefish. Man. Just one of the coolest movies I've ever seen in my life. I, I rewatched some of the clips just to make sure this would be my number one because I have it as my currently like my favorite movie ever on the based on the on the films <laughs> I've, I've watched on the list I've made so far. I've only I've only watched eighty three films uh, as of uh, whenever I think I made that list in like June, so like that's like half of the year. But um, the you know another Matt Dillon as a roaming tough. Um, the artistic choices, the theatricality, and the stage direction of this film uh, kind of sets it uh, apart from a lot of similar features. I rewatched the fight scene between uh, Rusty and I believe is it Biff? I believe it was Biff Wilcox is the, the, the baddie he was going against with the glasses. Just just a great movie villain creep. Like he has like this one moment. I think the actor portrays him as Glenn Withrow. And uh, it's like a knife fight. Or it's a it's a brawl, it's a rumble, so to speak, that turns into a knife fight, unfortunately. And just the way uh, the camera follows Rusty as he's doing these insane jumps in this in, like weird abandoned like you don't even really know where they're located it's just like the local it's like it's like the lava factory in terminator 2 it's one of those great like uh it's one of those great like cinema uh uh, abandoned locations. You've never been to the lava district of Los Angeles? Oh, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of like, you know, there's like a, they, they, they shut down the lava factory recently. It's now a taqueria. You know, it's just not the same vibe. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's like, yeah, it's a hipster. It's a taco. It's just, yeah, it's tacos to Madres. Now they have like Korean, uh, Korean tacos, which are good. Don't get me wrong. I like tacos to Madres. I used to get my lava here. <laughs> yeah, I used to get, yeah, I used to get my lava here. Now it's a sidecar donuts. Yeah, I used to get my lava here. Now it's a damn sidecar donuts. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love a maple bacon donut. <laughs> but sometimes you got to get your lava. <laughs> yeah, just like, uh, you know, the grizzled, uh, <laughs> like uh, John Pankow from LA, Live or Die in LA. We used to get our lava here when we were back on the force. The city's gone downhill. Oh, the city's gone really downhill. Yeah, uh, man. Uh, but uh, just like, I don't know, 
there's like moments in this film that I that are just gonna be in my memory. They're gonna live with, with me forever. Like the scene where Matt Dillon, you know, he gets really roughed up and he's his body, he has like this out-of-body experience, and mm-hmm. you're just following him float through his weird town. Like they live in Tulsa, I believe, but they really it's just like any American, it could be like any place in middle America. Yeah. It's just like um also a great William Smith performance, Officer Patterson. Dennis Hopper as the drunk, but weirdly loving father. Like there's like he said, like the father is a horrid fuck up, but there's also like an endearing quality to Extremely him. Extremely Dennis Hopper. Oh yeah, it's great. It's one of those, oh man, it's just what a sad Dennis Hopper performance. Mickey Rourke is motorcycle boy, uh, a role that, you know, I can see some people being like a little annoyed by it you know it's kind of like one of those classic like hey we're all just dust in the wind man it's very he's very like uh uh it's very it's very like this movie i feel like um borrows a lot of vibes from rebel without a cause like Mm -hmm. it's very this is a very rebel without a cause-esque feature film but it kind of expands on some of the stuff that they interrogate, they begin to interrogate in Rebel Without a Cause and add, and they add this level of cinematic craft and um, lush visuals. Like the black and white is just gorgeous. The Stuart Copeland soundtrack, Jesus. Yeah, it's cool. Oh, it rules. I was listening to some tracks uh, before this too just to get pumped up and I was like, man. And then you have like Nicolas Cage in it, like a young Cage. He's great in it in his weird little performance. Um, it's just... Um, I think it's just a movie everyone should see. It's like my favorite Coppola movie now. I think. Um, do you think? Um, do you think this is Ryan Gosling's favorite movie? And Motorcycle Boy is his like most inspirational performance that he ever saw that made him want to be an actor. <laughs> that might be. That's the thing about this movie. Yeah, this Motorcycle Boy is such a like. I uh, yeah. If you're the right. Every the- young actor who was born in the '80s saw this movie and was like. That's who I want to be. Yeah, I want to. <laughs> I want to be this weird, damaged, uh, but beautiful. Yeah, like, <laughs> who, who also like fucking. Oh my god, his introduction, where like Matt Dillon, Rusty, he's in the knife fight. He, you know, he sees motorcycle boy. He's like, oh, it's, I love. By the way, I love Matt Dillon's. Like, hey, it's me, Rusty Jones. Like he, he has a great tough guy voice. I I used to not be a Matt Dillon fan Mm -hmm. but I am now Uh, oh yeah I think he's great he's he rules he's excellent uh I I once got my Spanish class to watch you mean Dupree (laughs) uh Dupree's just too cool for him yeah can't can't handle it yeah Dupree get out of get out of there you don't have to help uh you don't have to help Matt Dillon make a planned community with Michael Douglas or whatever maybe (laughs) they made new Granada (laughs) oh Jesus (laughs) It came to fruition. Yeah, and it it's went a, bad. It went real bad. It's a suburban mosquito coast. Oh man! <laughs> but uh, 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 yeah. No, it's just like the scene where like um, Rusty's fighting Biff. Biff knifes him. He's hurt bad. Just blood, blood pouring out of this dude. An insane amount of blood. And then Motorcycle Boy is just like, I'm tired of the chicanery. Uh, this is all very silly. He like throws his motorcycle he drives his motorcycle at um or releases his motorcycle into biff biff like does an insane backflip the motorcycle flips it's one of the 
Oh, man. What a great movie. Just everyone should watch this film. It's a terrific movie that its style is so stylized, but that doesn't really take away from the punch of the themes and the yeah. vibes. Of or, the the, or, the, or the ending. Ugh, so yeah. sad and melancholy. Ah, I love it. But it opens, I mean, one of my, that monologue that Tom Waits does about how many summers he has left. Mm-hmm. It's like one of the most moving monologues I can think of. It's like, I've already lived for 40 summers. That means I must have about, I don't know, 25 summers left. Oh, wow. man. And it's just like, it, then you, everyone who hears that thinks, oh, no. Yeah, <laughs> this know, is not like... good. You're, you're not, you don't have a lot of faith in yourself, Dave. That's not, you should have more summers than that, sir. Well, no, but if you think about yours, it's like, oh, shit. I mean, I'm, 39 mm-hmm. oh man like mathematically it's not not yeah. as much summers that as i would like yeah that's, <laughs> like, that's that's like yeah i'd like a few more summers please yeah please yeah, <laughs> yeah. please sir <laughs> i feel you tom waits <laughs> oh man i feel that yeah that is yeah what a oh man and then yeah and then you have that and then you have motorcycle boy in juxtaposition to that who already feels like his summers have like run over. dry and yeah. he's only like 21 i know <laughs> he's a ghost already yeah oh it yeah it's a it's a it's a very hip movie it's anyone a, i mean it it's yeah. a it's a real mind blower and coppola is a true one of the true like madmen geniuses yeah it's like a testament i think so many people think coppola is only like you know the first two godfathers in apocalypse now and maybe the conversation people will throw that in there as well. But like, there's so much more to him as a creator. Like, yeah. Like, even, you know what? Like, watching Rumblefish, I like this movie so much. It makes me want to watch Jack. Like, I want to see, like, like clearly he liked that movie. Like, he, he, that was what he wanted to make. I believe it was just because he was friends with Robin Williams and found him amusing. And that was kind of the entire impetus for it but uh, he's he's amazing an amazing guy man i really i mean this whole thing that he is claiming he's going to spend a hundred million of his own money to make this sci-fi mega movie i i hope i hope it totally happens mm-hmm. and i hope it's the one of the greatest movies ever made i can't i want it to be i have so no cool. um if you were cynical about that I don't know if I want to know you yeah. because this is what a true, a true artist does uh, is that they take a big fucking bet on themselves and they, what they can bring to the table. And as an old man, let's see it. Let's see it. I'm ready. I'm willing to cry macho on that one too. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I'm crying macho all the way for that, for my boy, my boy, Francis Ford Copes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. A king. Uh, but this has been, Super fun. I hope mm-hmm. I hope uh, listeners enjoy this one. I think this one's a little bit longer, but not too much longer. Yeah, uh, we did a good job. We yeah. did a good job. No, not that many we, digressions. We could have uh, could have raved and you know re retold jokes, but we did not. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, cool list of twenty movies. Uh, I think all. I mean, I think I've seen most of the ones that you've mentioned, and I, I. Uh, I agree. I, they're all great. Nice, and so, I, I, uh, I haven't. I think I probably haven't seen any of the movies <laughs> you've said, so I can't wait to take a peek at all those features. I'm, I'm super excited. Awesome. Well, next week, hopefully, 
fingers, fingers crossed. <laughs> uh, we will read 2030 by Albert Brooks. Mm-hmm. Have a chat about that and conclude Brooks Brooks. But uh, that's all for this week. So thanks for listening. Uh, salutations. And how do you know, I guess? <laughs> hey, I'll do anything. Yeah, Spanglish. I did it for oh, you, you this time. Oh, you did